Stephen, it's a pleasure to sit down with you. You have done so much work and you've done so much hiking. I was absolutely amazed at the amount of work you've done to share your passion with other people. And that's really what this podcast is about. It's about um, people finding what they're passionate about, what they care about, and being willing to share that with other people. And it was amazing to see all the work you've done you do such great work marketing and really getting people interested in the topic and so i'm absolutely honored to be able to sit down with you today would you mind giving listeners just a brief introduction of yourself sure uh first of all thanks for having me aaron it's uh, wonderful to be on here you've had some great guests uh, so my name is stephen hoy um, i'm an author and hiker and i've written uh three hiking books uh, 105 hikes destination hikes and my new one is called Best Hikes and Nature Walks with Kids in and around Southwestern British Columbia. It's a bit of a mouthful. And that one uh, is coming out in uh, May. May 2022. Yes, I'm very excited for that one. Uh, would you mind starting off with just telling people, how did you get started in hiking? Because I yeah. saw that you you had gotten involved right away when you started your um, education at Simon Fraser, that you were already involved in the hiking club. So how did this come about for you? Yeah, I think... Um, I think school and, and outdoor education opportunities had a lot to do with it. Uh, also, my parents put me into into scouts and cubs. I have no idea why, because we didn't do anything outdoors like that as a family, other than you know road trips and stopping off at say uh, Crater Lake. Or so I was in scouts, and that really taught me you know how to make a fire and be responsible with that stuff, and and um, uh, a lot of camping. My scout troop was not a great one, so we didn't do a lot of hiking, just camping, uh, but a lot of it. So that was that was my intro and got me really loving the outdoors. And then also in elementary school and in high school, there were teachers that were passionate about um, taking kids outdoors. And uh, there were some you know different campouts and hikes that were offered. So there was a week long um, hike in the Lower Lillooet River Valley uh, that we did as part of a kind of Gold Rush history um, learning experience, and that really was one of the keys to, you know, igniting my passion for, for hiking. Wow. Yeah. And then, of course, in university, you have the chance to, um, you know, kind of explore and do what you want to do. And there's uh, outdoor clubs in university. So I got involved in the ones at SFU and, um, yeah, I had friends who were interested in hiking and we all just really got into hiking and I kept up. What what are your thoughts on scouts and cubs? Do you think yeah. that they do a great job or do you think yeah. that you would have revised it based on what you know now? I think that uh, they could do a better job. Uh, they're very there's a sort of a, a religious undertone to them, and and um, they're you know of course like scouts is very colonial. Um, there's a lot more they could do to connect people with the land and this place, and um, also there's um, you know obviously there's been issues with with child abuse and and pedophilia and that kind of thing. So uh, there are concerns around around that. Um, so. Um, <laughs> like uh, scouts was a wonderful experience for me but i'm not I was, it's it's a, it's definitely like there's a, a mix of feelings there about right. about it right now yeah okay so i'm also interested to know what route you took moving forward because you mentioned that your family wasn't that into yeah. fitness and and doing these outdoor activities was that tough to be in a world where you're so interested in something and that's not shared within the family or were you grateful that they put you into these programs because yeah. maybe you wouldn't have been able to experience it otherwise yeah, I'm grateful because I'm not sure, uh, you know, my my parents did not seem to be that into the outdoors. I think my dad actually was a bit, but we didn't do that much uh, around the outdoors. But, you know, they put, put us into scouts. Uh, 
really didn't have a choice, really. Um, and I'm, I'm glad for that because it was it was amazing. Met friends there and had wonderful experiences, learned a lot. And also they were willing to put me in these uh, some of these outdoor education opportunities that came up in, in the course of high school. Um, so, yeah, it, it it really worked. It really worked out. But it's funny, though, because once I was doing it, uh, a CBC news interview and it said on like the bar it said Stephen Hoy hiking expert and I'm like that's that's like Chinese parents worst nightmare oh no <laughs> shouldn't it say like lawyer or doctor right <laughs> did you grow up in the city and was there like a desire to get out of the city and go and experience these things where did you grow up and what was your background yeah. in terms of the environment yeah. so I grew up in Burnaby um so and Burnaby and a little bit of Coquitlam and um yeah I mean scouts really it Took us out more into the into the valley and Manning Park and and um, so hiking. Yeah, hiking has always kind of been about getting out of the city, um, whether it's like you know getting away from from high school and uh, getting away from university or and then just the city. It's it is about kind of getting a break from from the city. Yeah, because I just I don't know if you saw, but they've recently started prescribing going outdoors to people. And then I think of like, how often do you have to be in a city environment? Because I'm used to perhaps not going on the extreme hikes that you go on, but I'm used to getting outdoors and going into rainforest type environments and then just enjoying that walk. Um, And then you think of people who live in the city and their parks are often sort of artificial in the sense that they're like paved ways of walking and and environments like that. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, lots of grass. yeah, you have to make an effort, right? You have to you have to want to go. Uh it's it it seems like it feels like a real choice like you have to go. If I'm if I'm not feeling too uh energetic one weekend and I don't go outside, you know, I end up going to like my local park but it's grass, right? And and uh yeah, paved paved paths, it's not as not as great. Um so yeah, I mean, you kind of have to make the effort to get outside. Yeah. And then, so you go off to Simon Fraser University, you choose geography. What kind of pulled you in that direction? Yeah, it, it was the environment. Uh, I was really into the environment in high school, you know, joined the environmental club, that kind of thing. We even made a uh, a crappy film as a large project in grade 12. Um, and um, so, yeah, I basically went to university with this vague idea of being an environmentalist. And uh, the... Uh, couldn't hack it in biology and then couldn't hack it on the geographical sciences side and ended up in more of the human geography side, uh, which is great because that actually ended up being a lot more interesting for me. It's more about society and space. And um, yeah, I mean, universe, geography and, and both sides, the environmental side and the, the human side are kind of really aligned with, with the work I've done since and, and with uh, writing about hiking. So it, it all kind of led to the the right place right so human geography could you elaborate a little bit on that for people who might not yeah. know yeah so human geography uh specifically social geography was is what i was interested in it's more about studying um social relations and how they are affected by space or how they affect space so you know how like, looking at uh, a city and and why things are built where they are why there's a, a an area where people are poorer why racialized communities live in one area and and, and others don't why uh, why Indian reserves are so tiny and put where they are. Um, all those issues are, are in social geography. Right. And so you joined the hiking club. Was this when you realized that hiking was an interest more than perhaps biking or other activities? Like what pulled you and said, hiking is the route for me? Yeah, it was just, it, it just, yeah, it just happened in, in high school. I just loved uh, hiking. Um, 
and uh, in grade 12, made some from friends that were really interested uh, in doing that. So we got out quite a few times um, on our own and did hikes. And um, I've never been a great cyclist. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't like, I still don't really like going up hills on a bike. Um, and so, uh, yeah, hiking has just been the natural uh progression and, and also it's like it doesn't require as much you don't have to there's a low barrier to entry right. um and i think that's also me that's why you know i'm a hiker not a kayaker or, you know a skier and that kind of thing right and so when you're going out and you're starting to learn about this what is standing out to you is it the the feeling of accomplishment when you get to the top and you're like oh or is it that view is it the kind of the rainforest around you what's standing out to you that you're kind of going yeah i could do this and and what's the next place that i want to see yeah it's kind of all those right it's 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 definitely there's a feeling of satisfaction when you finish the hike when you get to the place you want to go um, cuz often there's a destination in mind but if you hike as long as I do, then or, or been hiking as long as I do, then you realize you don't always get there, anyways. Um, but going someplace you haven't been, um, seeing the places you have been again in different seasons, and they're always different. Um, it changes, you know. Now I've gotten more and more interested in the plants and animals and fungi and that kind of stuff. Looking at those, so I mean, uh, on hikes that people will think are boring, I always have something to look at. Um, I just never get bored out there, right? And also, it's just a stress relief thing. It's uh, anxiety reducing it's a yeah it's a break yeah i think that that's so important for people to realize because i think we get lost in um looking for the top of the mountain yeah. or forgetting that there is like for every step you take yeah. in the forest there's something to see there's something to learn yeah. there's a realization like um my partner and i we go for for hikes we go for walks and we'll stop and we'll start looking at the fungi yeah. and there's like you could take 50 photos of that one yeah. image and then yeah. you walk a little bit farther and you start to see yeah. this tree and it's huge or yeah. you start to see a tree growing out of another tree and you start yeah. to realize like this is such a complex ecosystem that if you just walk through yeah. it, you miss all of it yeah there's so many layers to it and then there's also like there's the historical aspects you'll find uh you know rusty logging relics and and whatnot around and there's there's just there's just so many layers to to enjoy hiking and a lot of a lot of people i meet are, are really focused on the fitness part um and, and getting somewhere and, and going fast and not you know stopping to smell the flowers basically and uh but yeah, I really enjoy all of it and I've become less hardcore about the, you know, getting there and going fast as, as I've gone, as I've done more and gotten older. Right. So you started out, um, it sounds like, like really getting passionate in, in university and kind of beginning of high school. Yeah. How many hikes are you doing at this point in time and how do you go about choosing your hikes during this period? Yeah. yeah at that point, it's really only several to a dozen times a year, probably. Right. I remember it wasn't, it wasn't that much compared to now. Um, but those were like special occasions. Those were really important. And if I didn't, you know, get that dozen hikes in a year, I'd probably be pretty disappointed. Um, at that point, it was it was really uh, looking at guidebooks and and uh, you know picking prominent peaks and interesting interesting you know lakes and that kind of thing around the region. Yeah, and also just whatever we could get to. Yeah. Yeah. And so, did you choose all throughout BC at that time, or were you being selective in uh, more local areas? And how did you yeah. go about yeah, selecting? I've, I've always kind of been a specialist in in this, or focused on southwestern BC. Um, definitely have done some uh, in other parts of the province, like in the Rockies. But yeah, always been very focused on kind of the area around Vancouver, from the lower island to Sunshine Coast to Sea to Sky to Fraser Valley and. Uh, Manning Park area and a little bit in Washington uh, in the north part. 
Okay. And so how long were these hikes when you were starting out? Were you going, cause you've done some pretty long ones. Were those pretty short in terms of their, like a day trip or how, how did yeah. you choose? Um, well, back in, back in those days we were probably doing, um, yeah, those were fairly long. Actually, we were probably going from anywhere from four to, um, 12 hours. Uh, yeah, we were, when you're young and you have that kind of energy, it didn't seem so hard now. It, some of those hikes, uh, hikes that seemed easy are seeing, seeming harder now. Wow. And so that's a long time to be out in nature. So when you start to hit that kind of, it takes you two hours to get to your destination and two hours yeah, back, yeah. Um, it sounds like those would be more like less people. There would be way less people yeah. on those types of trips. Uh, is that something that you guys preferred, um, kind of getting away from the, those main trails? Yeah, I, I definitely do like to get out uh, in places where there's less people. Um, so that means doing some of the less popular trails. It means going going farther, going in, going in bad weather too. Um, but there's it's uh, it's fun to to go far enough into the backcountry where um, you know whenever you see people, you're actually really happy to see them because you haven't been seeing anybody. Um, it's yeah, it's it's neat. Um, but yeah, definitely it's 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 nice to seek out places where I don't like going where there's a huge crowd. Yeah, and then with within the hiking culture, I imagine seeing somebody else out there, there's almost like a greater level of respect than when you see somebody at the grocery store yeah. or at the convenience store because you're like, wow, you guys were also willing to go all yeah. this way. Yeah, it's a funny thing. You could be walking in the city and you're all like kind of avert your eyes at each other. Like it, it it's sad, but that's what we do, right? And uh, if you're out there a few hours, yeah, you're going to stay high and stop and, and find out what they're up to and, and whatnot. It's uh, especially when it's been um, like this past this past September, I did a, a I think a four day hike uh, on my own um, solo. And in the middle of it, like on on the third day, I saw people for the first time. And it was just so wonderful to see this group of three heading the other way and finding out what their plans were and, and whatnot. What is that like for you? Because as I mentioned, I think of spirit quests for indigenous people. I think of the Heltic tribe has isolation spaces for restorative justice that they put people on these islands and they're stuck there to reflect on uh, the the crimes they committed to think about what they did. Yeah. You go out there, that's very similar to yeah. me to like a spirit quest where you're alone with your mind. And people talk about mindfulness. We talk about yeah. really connecting with ourselves, but there's no other option when you're out yeah. there by yourself. Can you tell us what those four day hikes are like for you? Yeah, that was really special. So that was uh that was the Owl Ten Quill Traverse up near Pemberton. Um I mean some people will run that in a day, but uh, I did it over three nights, and and yeah, being alone all that time, uh, it's neat to to be, you know, you have to be comfortable with yourself. It's 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 neat, and also I I, I find a hike at a different pace because I'm hiking at my pace, and so I'm hiking slower actually probably, and taking less but taking less breaks, and just going kind of from um, you know morning till to evening, and um, you're doing a lot of thinking. But then also sometimes you're not really doing much thinking. You're just thinking about the next step and where you're going to eat and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's it's really something. It's also neat to know that you just I, I don't get bored out there. Like there's there's I don't I don't get bored. It's it, it's it's really neat and uh, and also just the the joy you can feel on your own without having to share it. It's because I mean I do love the social aspect of hiking. Um, you know, seeing great view with other people and, and experiencing the challenges with other people is a big part of it. But also um, seeing that, you know, once in a while that I, I do love that on my own. It's like I really do love hiking. Um, 
So yeah, it's uh, also um, there's one hike that I did, the Sunshine Coast Trail, which is the longest one I've done. It's uh, 178 kilometers, and we did that in did that in 10 days with another guy, and that one was the longest one. So in that one, I really found like the longer it gets, uh, first of all, the more intimidating it is at the beginning because you're thinking about all the kilometers you got to take off, but the longer it gets, um, you your thinking gets simpler because you run out of things to think about in a way. You're just th- and then after a while, you're just thinking about whether you're hungry or not, whether you're going to stop and eat, and how long you're going to go going to go to your camp. Um, but before that happens, did a lot of thinking, and I ended up doing like a lot of life changes after that. That that big hike came home and like immediately quit my job that week. Um, really? Yeah, I'm not planned too. I just. I, I had made other life decisions and then I came home and things had changed at my work and I just quit, right? right what away. what job were you working? I was at the Georgia Strait. I was the technology and web editor at this newspaper. Right. And um, I'd been there for eight years and they were changing kind of editorial direction. Um, and I was I was a news person and they're changing more into the arts and culture side, which really wasn't my, um, not my forte, right? So it didn't make sense really for me to continue, continue there. Um, with that shift, so I, I just decided I'd finally do what journalists do and retire to pu- public relations. And so I, I made the jump, and it worked out. I ended up working at an environmental organization, whereas where I wanted to be in the first place, like a dozen years before. So it, it it's interesting how that that happened. Like, and that, was that over the course of the hike that you were kind of thinking about? Is this what I want to do? Is this- yeah, yeah. I was like, I felt, I felt, I already felt kind of, um, you know, I felt done. I felt. Uh, I, yeah, I didn't have much more uh, energy to give, and and journalism was also just becoming too stressful for me. Wow, that is such a an amazing story because we talk about mindfulness, and that's often the first complaint people make is like, "Well, like I've got stuff on my mind, and then I forget to be mindful." But yeah. you're saying that like over the course of 178 kilometers, you've run out of things yeah. to distract yourself or yeah. to think about, and yeah. you start to come to resolutions. It sounds yeah. like yeah, yeah, it's it, or that's what it that's what it has done for me. Um, when you you've had all that time on your own, because I was hiking with with another guy. And and also with another friend for for part of it, she came in the middle, but a lot of it still you end up being on your own, right? Especially since my hike, main hiking partner was a lot faster than I was, and we were choosing to to hike a lot of it separately and then meet up at certain points. Um, so yeah, it's you you do a ton of thinking, like you think overthink things over and over again, and then and then yeah, after the middle, like I couldn't really think anymore. I'm just thinking about the basics, and, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it allowed thoughts and. And feelings and to, to come out that um, I wasn't really acknowledging before, and and then to actually have to make then make choices. Yeah, because yeah, you think of people and like we always get caught up with the next thing, the next yeah. meaning. We got to go here, we got to yeah. go there, and so you don't really stop to go. Is this what I want to be doing? And yeah. is this how I want to be spending my time? And and who am I valuing? And who am I not valuing? And what yeah. could I be doing better in my life? And am I going down the path that I want, or am I just kind of filling the days with things that I feel like I'm supposed to be doing? Yeah, I really like uh, week long hikes for that. Um, I take I take a total break on, on week long hikes. I I turn off my phone. Um, you know, throw it in the bottom of the backpack, and uh, and uh, just really disconnect and don't think about, try not to think about uh, work and and other things. Um, so I really, really disconnect on on those trips, and that's I find it's really important to do that a couple couple times a year. 
Yeah, it sounds counterintuitive, though, because you think of average people when they want to take a break from work. They're like, I want to go lay on a beach in Mexico. I want to (laughs) go hang out in Cuba and I just want to do nothing. And I think that what you miss is that opportunity to like recalibrate. And that's the idea I think that underlies like New Year's is figuring out who are you? Who were you over the last year? And where do you want to go from here? Like, what would you actually, and like people make kind of silly resolutions to me where they say, I'm going to go on this diet. I'm going to start exercising more. And it's kind of like dull surface level plans to fix what they want to fix. But your approach seems to be like, maybe you do want to go on a vacation to Mexico, but it sounds like the thing that actually gives you therapy that helps you process things is going on a hike, which to people is like, what, on my vacation, I'm supposed to go exercise? Like I'm supposed to move my body? I just want to lay around and do nothing. And it sounds like you're making an excellent argument um, as to what the benefits of going out in the world are. Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't really do it for exercise. I think that's the thing. I don't really do it for fitness. That's a, that's a good side effect. Um, But yeah, you can have the beach too, right? Because actually, uh, my favorite trails to really disconnect are these coastal, west coast kind of trails, right? Um, like I did the uh, the the Nuka Trail uh, last summer, and that's you know it's all it's beaches and headlands. Um, you know, this is the real wild west coast of Vancouver Island. Uh, lots of bears, wolves, um, and that. So there's beaches. There's lots of swimming. Um, you know, tides and 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 everything so you can have the beach and and hike too that's super interesting so you're like are all your hikes up a mountain or are they some of them just long winding trails throughout vast amounts of forest like what is yeah it's all it's all of it like yeah i don't i don't do uh any one kind um definitely mountains have always been like a large focus but i'll do ones that are just uh just going through the wood just trying to find a pocket of old growth trees um ones that follow rivers um i like i like ones on on the islands gulf islands uh house town and uh coastal hikes so yeah every everything and also i do a lot of just nature walks stuff that isn't really hiking it's more flat it's uh you know a lot of wetlands um so yeah all kinds do you listen to music or is that counterintuitive to what you're going out there to do yeah for me for me it is i just want to hear uh the sounds of nature so i don't want to hear I don't want to listen to a podcast. I don't want to listen to music. Um, I, I'll, you know, yeah, the phone is not making any noise or there's not any outside noise. Yeah. Do you think that other people might struggle with being alone with their thoughts to the degree that you have to be able to cope? Was that ever a struggle for you during these longer ones where you're like, this is like, I am isolated with my own thoughts. Was that ever a, a struggle? Um, no, I mean, it, it can be uncomfortable to be doing all that thinking, but but I'd always preferred to be able to to just have my senses um, really immersed in the environment. So, no, I never really wanted to have um, to to put put music on or put headphones on. Yeah, it's yeah. Interesting. And so how do you go about planning these early hikes that you started on? Because um, to, I guess, people like myself, I don't, I go out, we hope for the best, we kind of stay close to the, to the entrance, because we don't want to get too lost. But it sounds like for some of these, you have to plan how you're going to get to the island, how much food you're going to have, you're going to pack like shelter, you're going to pack things to make sure that you're okay if anything goes wrong. Mm. So how, what's the process to plan for one of these hikes? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, after, after you've done a few of them, um it gets a lot more comfortable like i I probably don't spend as much time planning it out as i would before uh you just kind of know if it's five days i'm going to carry this much food i'm going to carry this much gear and also gear wise 
your gear does not really increase that much um, after packing for like three days. It just you just you just wear the same stuff over and over again, right? um, and have to wash it kind of along the way. Um, it's really just your food. So it's yeah, it's it's become kind of second nature now. I pack way too last minute, but in the beginning, yeah, I was making lists and, and learning um, from books like uh, Mountaineering: The Freedom of the Hills, and um, just uh, you know sources of yeah safety materials and and whatnot. Um, yeah, just uh, and learning from guidebooks. Guidebooks tend to tell you, could give you an idea of what you should pack. And uh, yeah, so I, I definitely, in terms of planning, though, I was reading a lot of guidebooks back then. I still read a lot of guidebooks now. And I love paper maps. So I'm always looking at paper maps. And I usually carry paper maps as they're available for the area I'm going. So um, paper maps are not something you see people carrying a lot of these days. But I still think they're the best. Yeah. Can you tell us more about that? Why do you prefer paper maps? And then perhaps after we yeah. can go through what the gear you choose and, and how do you yeah. go about choosing your gear? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I was I was late to GPS, definitely. Uh, I use it now. I use it a lot now. But, but, but I think it's good that I spend a lot of time using just maps because, because I can do that and it's it just... It's uh, nice to be able to be able to read a map, and a lot of people have trouble using a map and a compass. Um, and and before GPS, you you had a lot more like you made a lot more decisions like along the way, uh, referencing the map and the landscape. And now people are just looking at where they are on a track, um, and adjusting that way. So it's it's a lot. You're also spending a lot more time on your electronics too. Um, so uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I just love maps. Um, that's why I did geography, I guess. And uh, yeah, it sounds yeah. like it's there's more of that human connection to the journey. And um, when you get too far into the Google Maps or into a yeah. GPS system, you're almost just checking the box. You're almost just yeah. like um, you're like you're the GPS. You're operating, and you're oh, yeah. I have fifty kilometers, forty kilometers, and you're kind of just the vehicle yeah. in Google Maps. Yeah. Like people will you'll you'll get to you'll get to a point you know where you are and people will still be looking at their GPS oh just because to see where you know and it's 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 uh, becomes kind of a crutch like a um, phone yeah yeah and so so yeah I I do use GPS though uh, especially especially actually is the books have made me use GPS more because I need to map the hikes um, or uh, record tracks to help map the hikes so um, but yeah. So you, um, you started by looking at 103 um, hikes in southwestern BC, which was written by two other authors. Yeah. Did they inspire you? And can you tell us a little bit about how uh, you two met or connected? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I I so I grew up. Yeah, I was uh, 103 hikes in and around south, or 103 hikes in southwestern BC by Mary and David Macquarie. Um The fourth edition of that was my favorite book in high school. Um, and it wasn't even mine. My brother bought it, and I stole it from him. I stole half his copy, the setback copy. He had to buy another one. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, it's uh, yeah, that was my favorite guidebook, and that so that guidebook has influenced me in a lot of ways. Like I, I would read that thing cover to cover, um, and I love the writing. Uh, I love the environmental ethic kind of it. It it passed on, and uh, uh, it it um yeah, I never had the honor of meeting them. Um, but I've, I've met, uh, through, through, through these books, I've met people who did hike with them and it's, uh, which is wonderful. And it's, uh, it's really gratifying to, to hear that they like where the book's going, um, or 
how I how I'm writing um, the follow up book and and um, and so uh, even heard from a a niece of theirs as well that that wants to like uh, you know look at do some of the hikes in the 105 hikes book so uh, that's really cool so I uh, yeah I never met them um, I've met people who've uh, written with them and and hiked with them and uh, it was basically the opportunity came because. Through my journalism, um, I always wrote about hiking here and there, whether it's about actual hiking or about. Uh, I also wrote a lot of, about a lot of issues involving the like BC parks and, and that kind of thing on the more news um, side. And but I always wrote about hiking. So Greystone Books, which is the publishing company, uh, invited me to to talk about writing um, this book, and it just kind of came together. It was it was really lucky because I was planning to write a guidebook. I had wanted to write a guidebook since um, since high school, and in fact, it it's amazing that it ended up being the follow up to my favorite guidebook, which is something I like dreamed back then, but thought was impossible. Uh, I thought it might even be impossible for me to ever get be able to write a hiking guidebook, but then to, for it to happen that way that I actually got to write the follow up to my favorite book is just like <laughs> I don't know how that happened. So, can you tell us more about what you liked about the hundred and three? Um, hikes in southwestern BC. What did you see in it, and what what made you feel uh, motivated, perhaps, to to continue? Yeah, um, yeah. Just their writing. It's obvious they love they love nature. Um, they um, yeah, great guidebooks. To to me, they 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 take a real interest in the flora and fauna of the region. They take an interest in the culture and history of the area, um, and they they kind of talk about the uh, environmental conservation struggles around around the area so i like i like how like writing a guidebook for me is the great thing about it is you it's an excuse to learn so much about the different layers of the, the trails and um yeah so guidebook authors whether it's the Macarees or uh manning and um the other guy in washington those uh, legendary guidebook authors spring and manning um they're they're a similar style to the Macarees. they they're the other kind of um standard of guidebook that I, I look to and um yeah i just enjoying the writing uh enjoying the pictures they used to have these old sketch maps in those books too like the maps are sketches and people people hate them but i love them because they're so simple they actually uh they do make you they're, they're quite a good like picture of the trail um so yeah, there's so much about those books that that I like. And then, so what made you basically go, now it's time for me to start my own guidebook? Did they, they reached out to you and said, hey, we'd like to see this, but it sounds like it was already in your mind. Yeah. So it, the funny thing is I started taking notes in high school um, from my hikes, uh, quite detailed notes, just because I, I felt driven to. Um, but it wasn't until after that, that big uh, Sunshine Coast Trail hike that I did that I really decided I need to write a guidebook. Um, and so I, I made an outline, uh, a plan and everything. And then, and then, and then I shelved it. I said, you know, hiking is my favorite thing. Do I really need to turn it into a job? And then, uh, just amazingly a year later, I get this email from the publisher, uh, of Greystone Books saying, you want to come in and talk about writing a hiking guidebook? And I knew they were, they must've been talking about, uh, this book and I went in and we kind of meshed what they were looking at at a guidebook and what I wanted to do. Right. And it worked out perfectly. 
Right. Because I think that that's the struggle so many people face is yeah. I, I have this passion, whether it's yeah. creating artwork or it's creating music. And then it becomes and um, I've talked to Andrew Christopher, who's a musician about like it starts out as like your passion yeah. and then it starts to become a job and then it becomes yeah. more responsibility. Yeah. Um, how did you go about making that decision? And yeah. um, it sounds like you learned through these books. So can you tell us about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I I did. I didn't. The books actually forced me to to learn how to use GPS because I I was really a paper map snob uh, before. Um, but it uh, you know having to take notes on the hikes. Uh, one thing that sucks is that you have to use my phone a lot more because I take notes on my phone. Um, but yeah, le learning how to do it. I just didn't. I'd I'd lucky. Luckily, I've got a big collection of guidebooks. I've read a lot of guidebooks and, and being a journalist, I also was able to interview a lot of hiking guidebook authors for, for stories before I even knew I wanted to write a guidebook. So I basically would interview any author of any hiking guidebook that would come out. Um, so I, I learned a lot from all that. But yeah, just having to figure out how to do it. Um, yeah, people laugh at me when I, they tell, I tell them I take my notes and Apple notes as I'm hiking on the trail. Like it's it's ridiculous. Like I don't have a special way of doing it or anything. It's it's pretty crude. It's yeah. right. So is that ever a struggle for you at all? Do you try and go for hikes where you're saying this is not going to be for a guidebook? This is for me to to yeah. get back to my roots and yeah. to just enjoy myself. Yeah. If there, if there are hikes that I know are kind of out of the scope of the guidebooks that I want to write, yeah, I don't take notes. I might not even take my camera. Right. Just because uh, I want to break a break from it. So yeah, there's there's a lot of and a lot of times when I'm redoing hikes that I know I don't need, you know, I might only need to take a couple observations because not much has changed. Then yeah, I'm I'm not I'm trying to turn off. Awesome. So how did you go about writing the first book? What was the process? How long did it take? Yeah. And and what was involved? Yeah, the first book was was quite uh, quite compressed. So it was about a two year process. Um, so yeah, the first book. Yeah, writing a book about 105 things is not something I recommend. It's uh, it was a lot, <laughs> quite intimidating. I had to change the way I thought about it too, because I was thinking about it as, you know, I have 105 things to do and I need to check them off, but that's like too big to think about. So I had to think about it more the other way. Like, um, okay, I've written 10. That's good, you know. And then just you know, once I got over 50 or 60, then I felt. Better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just I set out a list of hikes. I I wanted my idea was to like draw a circle around Vancouver basically and 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 pick a real variety of hikes in that area easy and hard long and short so a real mix and then and then i set out to, to hike those and um you know things don't always turn out exactly as you plan so so for any given weekend you're, you're kind of thinking oh i got these five hikes i could do and depending on the weather depending on forest fires or whatever uh which way you're able to get travel to um, that ends up, you know, influencing what you pick. And so that ends up influencing the hikes that you end up researching. And then you find out about other hikes. And so, yeah, it's, uh, you kind of, I kind of pick a set of hikes and, or have a general idea. A lot of times the list is actually really just in my head. And, um, and then you just kind of go through it and you end up with what you end up with basically. And, um, and, you know, kind of cut it down to the, the number you need and, so yeah, it's it's kind of an organic. Thing. Right. So it isn't that like they gave you a list of 105 hikes and you need to go out and explore these to no. get the information? No, no, no. They're just assuming that I know what hikes to to put in there. And um, they have some, a little bit of, my editor there is uh, amazing. She's like, uh, she's edits 
she's edited a whole bunch of hiking guidebooks and she knows all the hikes. Um, so there, there will be some discussions sometimes of this hike or that hike, but generally, yeah, making the list and then, and setting out to do a certain amount and, and that ends up being, uh, what's in the book. Yeah. Right. Cause you've gone through like, um, you've developed kind of like a craft about it. It isn't that, yeah. um, they're just kind of the exact same, um, each yeah. time. It sounds like over the course of these years, you've developed your photography skills and it yeah. sounds like a little bit of your writing skills. And it yeah. sounds like you're, you're trying to bring each book and make yeah. it better. So what was that first book? What was in there? Um, did you take all the photos? What was kind of the process? Yeah. In the first book, uh, I think I pretty much took all the photos except for the cover photo, one inside photo, and the author photo. Um, so yeah, generally I I take most of the photos in the books, except for the, there might be a few hikes where I got rained out on or something, or the pictures didn't come out. Um, then I'll you know get some a friend or someone else to to contribute because um, there's tons of amazing photographers out there. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, so it's yeah, I mean it's mostly. I yeah, just you know it's it's a pretty solitary process otherwise. Right. And so do you choose the camera? What was your kind of process for did they give you a camera and say, here you go, no, get out no. there? So yeah, they don't when you're writing a book, the the book is your yeah, the photos are kind of not part of that, right? They're it's it's they're they're kind of paying you for the writing. Um so the photos are really your responsibility. And uh so yeah, I just I use a DSLR an icon and uh went out and just took yeah took the photos and uh offered them a selection of photos um so yeah you're you're basically choosing and so i'll you know i'll I'll offer them a small selection of photos that i think are um worthy or good as illustrations of, of a hike and then they'll pick out of those so i narrow it down i like that there's two people choosing um so i narrow i narrow it down you know for 105 hikes it's only gonna be one photo for hike yeah so I'll offer them two or three pictures and then uh allow their creative director to like pick the best one that they think out of those so i like that um with the publishing process that there's that kind of the choices made by two people the editor and the writer or the editor uh the writer and the creative director there's two kind of two layers of uh, thinking that goes into everything right yeah. and so how do you go about choosing what to say about a hike like yeah. you're out there you're seeing beautiful perhaps mushrooms yeah. old growth forest trees um beautiful water um how for yeah. each book it kind of has like almost like a different um yeah. audience one's about hiking one's more about like destinations that you'll see yeah. on your hike and then the latest one is more about family experiences so for that hiking yeah. one how did you go about choosing what was going to be in that yeah, it, it's a it's it's a variety. I, I like I like it. Um, like if it's just a set of directions and description, um, that's that's boring for me. It's it's probably boring for the reader too. Although some people are just want the directions. Um, so it has to be interesting for me too. So uh, part of the write ups is usually I, I want to share something interesting about each area that isn't just about how beautiful it is uh, and and the practicalities of it. So usually there's something to do about nature or culture or history or um, the geology. Uh, so it there's there's kind of the observations I make on the trail. Like something will really stand out in my notes, and I might like put it in capital letters in my notes or or something. And then, but then it also is the research I do when I'm writing to find out uh, more details and to confirm what I've seen, like in terms of biology and geology and also to look up the history um 
that might just you know change how I write about the hike and what I want to focus on. So, um, yeah, it kind of it just kind of happens when I'm writing, but it's I like to focus on something like in each hike. There's like usually some kind of focus that I really want to kind of uh, elaborate on. Right. And how did you go about structuring the book? Was there a logic to the order that you went in or anything like that? Yeah, I I'd kind of just tend to go geographically. So I go north, east, west, south of Vancouver, um, which so I, I kind of do this. Yeah, do it in kind of the order the hikes are from Vancouver based on access. So I, I it's basically uh, based on roads and maps. And it's it's yeah, it's fairly logical that way. Interesting. And so how did you feel about how that book was received? Um, one of the questions I had was like, when you when you go on certain hikes, there's like a culture that you want to kind of keep it private, keep it secret. Yeah. Um, that's like a mindset that some people have of like, well, we don't want this trail to be overrun yeah. by people. We want to be able to enjoy this peaceful yeah. place. Um, yeah. Hill Keep is one here in Chilliwack, to the top of Chilliwack yeah. Mountain. And it's like, it's a secret little gem. And when people talk about it, they go, shh, like don't tell anyone. And yeah. so what, what was your experience kind of writing this book and, and putting it out there? Yeah, um, yeah, that's a that's a, a running thing, a running current in the outdoors community. Um, it's it's very colonial though, because it's always it's usually white people saying that. You know, we don't want uh, people of color to to discover it. Um, well, it's not like it's not like it's theirs though. It's ridiculous. Um, I think if there's first of all now, I think there's less of a less there's less of a issue i think with me writing about these things too because there there really is information online published about all these places in general they may not have like great detail about it they may have errors and but there's information about all these places it's not like i'm blowing up the place by putting in the book the book is not a viral sensation right the book is not going to be um have the effect that an instagram post or something uh has on on a place you you see it now like people will post um pictures from snowshoeing to some obscure peak up to Chilliwack Valley and the next weekend there's 30 people on top of it. Right. That doesn't happen because of the book. Um, so I don't feel, I feel like uh, I try to be responsible, uh, include kind of the regulations and environmental sensitivities of the hikes that I'm writing about. Um, I feel like I'm able to write them in context. So I, I feel like the books are, just like guidebooks were for me, are kind of a an informative um, entry into the area whereas um you know the online material i mean your, your mileage varies right and so it sounds like you treat it like a conversation with like a respected individual where there's something missing about an instagram post typically yeah. where it doesn't have the detail it doesn't have the environmental commitment yeah. and so when you're sharing a hike it sounds like you're recognizing that there's a whole story with this one hike and i'm going to yeah. try and tell it to you yeah. in uh, an efficient way but there's a lot to learn about this one yeah. spot yeah, uh, and and kind of like I said, I kind of have to pick one aspect of it, whether it's the ecology or, or something. Um, but yeah, like I like to hopefully tell people something they didn't know about an area, and uh, yeah, and also let them know if there are things that are sensitive about it, whether it's culturally or environmentally. Um, so yeah, I, I, I for me, guidebooks have always been, you know, pointed those things out and. To varying degrees and so yeah I, I don't there's always controversy about people blowing up areas and and you know their favorite spots but the really funny thing is that so people have complained to me about that you know why'd you put that hike in it's my favorite place but then the hilarious thing is that when i don't put hikes in 
people are complaining that hey you forgot that hike it's it needs to be it should have been in your book um so there's no winning there's no winning and it's funny because well you know about the hike you should be happy it's on the book yeah <laughs> That's so interesting. And people, I guess, are fickle that way because we want people to exercise more. At least I want people to get out more. I had uh, Brian Minter, who's uh, yeah, who's yeah. really into the environment and taking care of it and nature and uh, flora. And one of the comments he made was about how being out in nature for about an hour actually boosts your immune system yeah. and it improves your health and your well-being. And yeah. these are all just various benefits to yeah. getting out there and then learning and educating yeah. yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's just beneficial on so many levels. Uh, but yeah, the mental emotional aspect is huge. And um, um, in terms of in terms of the reception of the first book too, I was really um, I wasn't sure how it would go, right? Because you're you're I was you're following up on a a, a really beloved series of books, um, and and you know they don't know who I am, like. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was really well received, and um, yeah, people are amazingly were so um, said a lot of nice things about it, and and uh, seemed to really enjoy the book, and uh, you know, and also just how different it was from the other books, and um, yeah, it's been the the writing the first book and the response was was just uh, it was really wonderful. That's really good to hear because it's it's tough to put yourself out there yeah. and imagine like if it took you two years, once it's out there, it's like, what's going to happen? Is this yeah. going to go well? Is this going to go tough? Yeah. Was that tough over those two years? Were there any points where you were like, am I going to be able to get this done? Um, I'm oh, sure yeah. they had deadlines for yeah. you and you're like, I have to go out and explore these places. Like, Yeah. Uh, funny. I, I'm kind of deadline driven. So deadlines really uh, are what light a fire under me. So um, I almost, I procrastinate and I can't get anything done if I don't have a deadline, but I, I will get the deadline. Um, so yeah, it was really scary for me coming into the, the final summer because I hadn't written hardly anything and, um, and ended up having to, uh, take a month off, uh, unpaid leave to finish the writing basically. Cause I, cause I do my best writing when I just sit there and don't do anything else. Yeah. I need to sit there for a month. Um. And so this has been how this has ended up how I've done the three books is ended up taking a month off and just like cramming it all the writing and like not doing anything, just working in my pajamas. Are you able to do the hikes in advance and be able yes. to like, do you yeah. schedule that in? How do you go yeah. about doing yeah, that? I'm, I'm hiking all year basically. Right. So um, generally, generally every other weekend or so, uh, or but more on an average of like on a weekly basis, I guess. But um yeah so you just I, i'm just doing it all year i have a list of hikes that i want to do and you just kind of work on them work toward it and um by the time it's time to write i hopefully have most of that done just have a few that i really need to really want to get in and but it's mostly about the writing at that point do you find that it's that this is an under-researched or uh, well-researched area? Do you feel like you're going out there and kind of pioneering certain hikes over others where you're like, this one's pretty well-established. Like I think of like um, elk is like one that's pretty well-established mm -hmm. for people. Shiam is another one well-established. But are you doing certain hikes where you're like, this is like under-documented or underdeveloped understanding, or do you feel like they're all pretty consistent? Uh, yeah, there's a, definitely a wide variety. Uh, there's... Um yeah, sure. There, there. I mean, there are hikes that are really popular that have tons of written about them, um, 
And then, then there are hikes that are very obscure. They might have been in a guidebook before, but they're really obscure. Um, and then people are people people because people not everyone buys guidebooks. They haven't read about them before, so that's really neat. Um, yeah, I love it when people uh, like the books and they say that uh, we didn't know about these these hikes, and and it's nice that they're learning about them this way rather than on Instagram. So. Right. And what has your journey been like in terms of it, you've brought in ethical considerations, you've brought in um, different photographs, you've brought in indigenous culture and language, and place names. Um, what has that journey been like for you to kind of start out and you're going out there for the perhaps mental calmness and um, enjoy yourself and then you're starting to learn? What has that learning curve been like about the environment, the mushrooms, the trees? What yeah. has that journey been like? Yeah, so uh, I've always I've been interested in kind of the outdoor ethics side of things since uh, I was quite young, probably because of just scouts and whatnot, like kind of started it. And I remember reading a, a, an old Leave No Trace book like quite a long time ago uh, before it became well known. Uh, now it's pretty pretty much everywhere. Um, so I've always been interested in kind of that minimum impact practices and uh also the history side too. I mean, that was also nurtured early by that high school hike. Uh, that that hike uh, taught us a little bit about the gold rush history, but also um, took us to uh, took us to to meet some elders in uh, uh, Shamakum. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so it, it 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 you know instilled that interest in in the different facets of history. So yeah, I just uh, it's amazing. Like I. Well, definitely always been interested in the geography, geology, and history side, but my interest in in the the kind of plants and animals was was more surface. But I've become way more interested in those by doing the books too, just by by, by needing to identify um, plants and animals and, and wanting to. So I've I've learned a lot. Right. Um, so yeah, it's definitely it's expanded what I'm interested in, and it's there's always new things to learn. Interesting. And so was it, what was the main hikes or main experiences that you got out of that first book? What stood out to you when you were submitting it? Did you see like a bear or did you do a hike that was like unexpectedly difficult? What kind of stood out when you were finishing that book of like, wow, that's like a huge takeaway? Yeah. Um, yeah, um, it, I think it's just, uh, yeah, it's just learning. Um, the hard part is being clear about the directions, I think, too. Like, um, yeah, learning um, learning how to be better, more better, um, more clearly about it, and I, I definitely learned a lot from from doing the first book. I feel like I'm really I'm really proud of the second book, Destination Hikes, because I I think I took everything I learned from 105 hikes and put it into there. So uh, 105 hikes is my first book, so it's kind of has those first book things in it that authors do. Like, there's a you know they want to put a lot of yourself into the book, so like you know people's first novel always is like often semi-autobiographical even though it's not supposed to be right um so there's a lot of thoughts i think that i wanted to get across and that are in there and so sometimes the hike write-ups are maybe a little too focused on a certain issue or something where it probably should just you know get into the what the hike's about first and then get the, you know the other way so i think i learned um a lot my editor helped too because she's a good editor which means she's a brutal editor and and uh you know, makes changes that are sometimes hard to be like, oh, I want to write it this way. But then it's like, oh, she's totally right. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, it's, I learned so much. 
Interesting. And so when that book releases, I know that there's like a lot of hiking groups and and clubs. Is that when you started being a part of those or getting vocal in those or getting a well-recognized name within that space? Uh, um, It was really helpful to be part of a club because I was, I've I've been a member of the Wanderung Outdoor Recreation Society uh, in Vancouver. And what was neat is I actually did a lot of the hikes as part of the club and and was taking notes. I was one of the, the main trip organizers. And so I was, you know, meeting this community and learning from them as well about hikes and what they know and that kind of thing, but also, uh, you know, getting help to go out to all these places, um, but then also had a community that was willing, ready um, to support the book too when it came out. Like it was, they were fantastic. The, the club has been fantastic. I'm also a member of like the BC Mountaineering Club and Nature Vancouver and some other clubs. And um, yeah, a part of, promoting the book has been getting in touch with them and, you know, giving presentations to them. And um, I mean, they, a lot of guidebooks also have a, a real club history to them. Like the predecessor book, uh, 103 Hikes, was always a project of the BC Mountaineering Club. And so, um, yeah, it's important to kind of get that support from the clubs and and also support what they're doing. Because um, you, you gave proceeds to them as part of the the book, right? Yeah, as part of uh, as part of uh, Greystone Books, uh, continuing like uh, continuing on with 105 hikes. Um, they they made an agreement with BC Mountaineering Club to to give a certain amount of proceeds, and then in exchange, you know, the the club is uh, it you know kind of endorses the book and and whatnot. And uh, I was really glad for that connection because it's I think it's important to have those those connections between the books and um yeah it was it was um yeah it's good so they use that money for like conservation and and trail purposes right and so after that book releases where did you go from there what were it come were you like this is step one we're just getting started or were you kind of like and i'm done i'm gonna walk away from the book world now how did the next book kind of come about it kind of um yeah there are two roads i was thinking one the great thing about uh, these hiking guide books is that if if they do well, you can write more. You can write multiple editions because they need to be updated. Um, so I knew that that the publisher had already talked about doing a second edition of 100 of Hikes in a few years. So I knew that was going on, and then and then but then immediately I didn't really have anything. But I was having uh, I was having dinner with a, another author friend of mine. Um, his name's uh, Travis Lupik, and he writes books about uh, harm reduction. So he he wrote Fighting for Space, and he's got a new book, uh, Light Up the Night, um, out now uh, about harm reduction efforts in, in the States. Um, and um, <laughs> he was talking about how he was getting his next book proposal ready, because we've had books out around the same time. I was like, next book proposal? What are you talking about? And like, you got to strike while I didn't talk. Your book's out. You got to... And I was like, oh, I I went home and emailed to my emailed my publisher, <laughs> and um, uh, and then they they came back with the destination. I think I had proposed like a, a different kind of book, but they came back and were like destination hikes. That's what you should write. And I was like, that sounds pretty good. And then it grew on me, and and we we ended up um, talking through the idea, and and ended up yeah, ended up writing this book, which uh, was meant to kind of highlight these special places. Um, and, uh, you know, swimming holes, mountain peaks, waterfalls, and, and more. And, uh, I was pretty, able, pretty much able to interpret that how I wanted to. And what I liked about this book is I got to write, uh, more in depth. There's, there's more photos. Um, so I was really able to, because I had less of a format established on it, 
because um, the previous book needed to follow kind of the 103 hikes um, for a break. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was able to do it more how I wanted. And it, um, yeah, I really like how it, it turned out. So philosophically, how would you say that they differ? Because it sounds like the hiking one is more about the experience of these hikes, yeah. but destination hike sounds like it's more about the where you're going and you're going to see yeah. this waterfall. So how did that kind of change philosophically? Philosophically, though, there isn't that much difference between them okay. because I'm not really all about the destination totally. So it, it the, the destination is kind of like the draw. Like I'm pointing out that there might be a old growth tree like halfway through the hike or there's a waterfall at the end or a huge view but but really i'm i'm trying to like i'm making sure to focus a bit on those but philosophically i'm still trying to just talk about uh the nature and culture of the area and get a little more in depth into that and it's definitely has the same uh i think it's the same philosophy just you know more expressed in the in in the second book and how did you go about, was it the same kind of organic process to choose the locations? Yeah. Or was there something about yeah. certain places where you're like, well, this waterfall is like phenomenal. And so people have got to go check this out. Definitely that part, the destinations part did influence some of the choices. I was like, yeah, there's some waterfalls I really want to get in. I want to get in some great peaks. I want to get in some swimming holes. And so, um, and I also put like, um, you know, I wanted to get in areas of historical interest, areas of geological interest. So I was able to kind of tailor it how I wanted. Wildflower meadows. Um, so that definitely affected the choices. Um, but really, I was basically doing, it's an excuse to write about 55 uh, more great hikes that, and I didn't want to duplicate anything in the other book, so they're all different. No way. Hikes, um, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it was kind of an excuse to write one more hikes. Oh my gosh. And so how long did you have for that hike? Or for, sorry, for that book? Um, you said two years. Yeah, for the I had one. I had two years. So like it ends up being a three year process, but it's really two years of hiking. Right. You have for the books, yeah. And uh, what was neat? But what was neat about that book is is that um, mo most of the hikes were actually new to me because uh, I I had to put like all my knowledge into the first book, right? So uh, I had to do a lot more hikes that I hadn't done before for the second book. Um, so that was that was really neat. I, I love I love how writing about the books makes you get out and try new places. And it sounds like learn and educate yourself. Yeah. And I think that that's where I I think we're so lucky to have individuals like yourself. Like I I think of the disconnect that I see taking place for so many between the environment yeah. and like their work or living in yeah. the city. And they they're, yeah. we're seeing a larger disconnect over time. And that worries me. And when we have people like yourself who are willing to lay out so many different aspects, the ethics, the indigenous background, the history, the geography, the um, beauty and kind of the functions of these ecosystems, I think that that sets, we're, we're just lucky to have individuals like yourself to, to share this information with people so that they can feel inspired again. Because I don't know, growing up, I didn't feel like I had this deep relationship with the environment. Environment. And then yeah. when you start learning about how people used to walk this a thousand years ago yeah. or a hundred years ago, and you start to realize that the, yeah. this has been used by other people and it's been relied on and yeah. these ecosystems have supported humans for long before you were born yeah. and they'll be here long after yeah. you're gone. You have a deeper relationship. Yeah, it's, that's that's the thing. I like guess really the more I learn, the more incredible it is. Um, you know, I mean, Canada's only been around since like, what, 1867, right? Um but these areas we're hiking in, um, a lot of them are sacred, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they've been they've been used for 
millennia. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, the more you learn, the more you realize just how many of these lakes and mountains are actually like sacred to people. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's even more important to be responsible and to um, uh, make people aware of, of those connections. Yeah. Yeah, and I think of like for indigenous people, we had the Ulakan trails, and then those mm. slowly turned into the um, the fur trading trails. Yeah. Um, but there are these long-standing relationships with yeah. these yeah. communities, with these areas that connected people. Yeah. That people were willing to walk for yeah. long distances, thousands of kilometers to connect. And when you do it, it's like I can't imagine how much work that is. But you think of indigenous people like. 500 years ago, 1,000 years yeah. ago, they were doing this to yeah. trade and as yeah. systems of um, negotiation between yeah. different communities. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think that we we keep that in our minds of like people were able to use these trails in these areas yeah. for long periods. Um, they found ways to remember it. Like I interviewed Sonny McKelsey yeah. and uh, yeah. he talks about the place names and why Chiam, or Chiam is uh, called that because it's, uh, it stands for wild strawberries. And so uh, yeah. uh, it's called, it's supposed to be, I think he said, La Chiam and it's supposed to be always wild strawberries. Yeah. And so you see that there's this mm. deep understanding. And when he describes um, some of the place names and why they're called this, yeah. he goes through and he explains, explains like this is the why we have a story about it and it's it's how we before we had maps this is how we remembered yeah. where to go and we have these stories yeah. of why there are scratch marks here and why there are um like trees set up in this way and why this yeah. mountain looks like this and and we have yeah. all these stories to remember it because we didn't have anything written down we yeah. relied on stories yeah. about the geography and i think yeah. that it's so beautiful when individuals that like yourself are willing to share this yeah, it's amazing to hear um, like Sonny McCalsey or others talk about that because yeah, it's like the stories are inscribed on the land and and they they say so much about the people in place that these uh, colonial names don't really say much um, about the place usually, um, especially the ones that are named after people people and dead people in Europe. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's incredible. Um, yeah, I've. So, yes, Sonny McCallsey, like hearing his, uh, had a chance to to be in a webinar with him and to hear him talk about uh, some of the, the places out here was uh, incredible, yeah. So what is your journey like to, let's get into Destination Hikes now, yeah. what is your journey to get that information, that aspect yeah. of it? Do you have to go read books? Do you uh, try and connect with individuals who live yeah. in the area? What is that process? It's it's more, um, yeah, it's more reading. Um I mean, I'm just writing a hiking book. I don't want to impose upon people. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, the, I'm, I'm basically taking publicly available material um, and um, also trying not to tell stories that aren't mine. So I'm not going deep into you know these telling these stories. Um, but yeah, mostly focused on uh, sharing um, Indigenous place names and also like indigenous like land use um, designations so it's reading first nations land use plans looking at their environmental assessment submissions um reading um some anthropological and archaeological materials uh language dictionaries um maps and um yeah it's kind of it's there's a lot of delving into material and definitely in the beginning with mostly reading uh environmental assessment submissions it's amazing how much material is in those things but it's it's definitely hard to look through there's a lot uh but there's it's amazing that since like 105 hikes i would say a lot of the the basis for the cultural information is from 
these like legal submissions. And um, it's amazing that when working on destination hikes and now working on best hikes uh, in nature walks with kids, it's amazing how much more is published uh, out there. There's more First Nations and organizations have interactive maps. Um, there's more. There's more. Um, there's more theses. There's more. Um, you know, academic papers and uh, there's more uh, interpretive panels. Um, so there's there's so much more activity going on in that area, which is amazing to see. Right. Yeah. I'm really interested in your thoughts. Do you feel like that that's a good thing that um, we, we don't include the indigenous stories? Because to me, that's an arm of reconciliation is yeah. to be able to for you to include those stories in your books to give that indigenous undertone to give a better understanding of like because my frustration is i hear indigenous culture indigenous culture and it's it's always feels like people don't know what they're saying when they say that and to me having sunny mckelsey on or carrie lynn victor who explains we named it this place name this is the backstory of why it gives you a greater respect for the culture that there was actually a reason we called it that we didn't have complicated names because i know people judge the complexity of saying the names like squamish um like spelling that out it's difficult for people and so I can get that. But once you understand why we called it that, um, I think Carrie Lynn Victor did a really good job of saying uh, it's um, right nearby um, one of the hikes and it's our uh, Chilliwack community trails yeah. she helped name. And she basically said that oh, the, yeah. the reason that we named it that is because it means mossy place. And this area is yeah. always mossy. Yeah, Laquam, I think. Laquam, yeah. yes. And yeah. they chose that over Hack Brown Park, which which goes back to exactly <laughs> your point yeah. um, about having yeah. kind of colonized names for things. This guy was once yeah. here. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, no. Um. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, that that's in. Um, there's a hike in in the new book, uh, Best Hikes in Nature Walks, that starts at Lacon Park and goes up the Thalatel Trail, uh, which is for, uh, for describes Wild Dinger, I believe, in Halkamalem. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's uh, yeah, the trails there have Halkamalem names. Um, so I like I like how that, there's that connection. But in terms of the stories, um, I think. I do feel like in terms of getting into the stories, I would probably, it, it wouldn't make sense for those stories to come from me. Probably probably better if, if, if in the future, maybe work with people like uh, Carolyn Victor and, and Sonny McKelsey to, to, to tell those stories in, right. their, in their own words. Like I, I think whenever you see uh, someone non-Indigenous transcribe a story, it's often a little strange and, little off and also they might be combining two versions of the stories because uh, there might be multiple stories it's it's yeah it's a mess usually uh, whenever I, I cringe usually when i see it in, in another book so right so you would have like certain stipulations you'd want to make sure it's done yeah. in a certain way because i just think yeah. we we need more i guess collaboration because i know sunny has his at his stolo atlas yeah. for the fraser valley yeah. but i think that being able to tie it into current yeah. books where because i would guess that the the community that's perhaps buying sunny's atlas yeah. and the the community that's maybe reading your books are probably not the same community and so having more overlap between the two yeah. communities would be valuable yeah and i sure wish i'd gotten a copy of sunny's uh Coast historical atlas a long time ago a lot of the material actually in some of the material in these books uh is derived from those books but it's more derived from material that uh is ancillary to the book uh, you know like uh research projects or whatnot that are referencing the book, but I didn't actually have a copy until fairly recently. And uh, so uh, when I was on the webinar with Sunny McCallis, he's like, you don't have a name for, you don't have the name for Mount Linky. 
uh, Mount Lincoln up by Yale in your book. I was like, well, I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't know there was one. But if I had the book, I, I would have known. Oh uh, wow, that's interesting. So you're kind of like a student of the of the BC world, where you're like, um, I've gotten to see that you follow so many people who are influential, who like the Sunny McKelseys, and and staying educated on these events. What has that kind of process been like for you to be? Um, Kind of a student of the phrase of BC and learning about all the different kind of leaders throughout the area. Oh, it's, it's, well, it's just amazing how much knowledge is is in those leaders that um, most people don't hear. Um, so, like, like when someone like Sunny speaks, like it's amazing because uh, you're hearing all the stuff you've never heard before, um, and and the reasons for why things are and, and whatnot. So, yeah, it's it's. It's really just it's uh it's something that I'm really fortunate that in the process of doing the hiking books, I've been able to learn, um, learn from all these people and, and learn learn so much. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it'd be hopefully we can do some collaborations, um, in in order to to bring more of that out. Um, yeah. Yeah, because you also were both keynote speakers at a University of the Fraser Valley event, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, as well, right? Yeah, and I was like, I was like, what? I'm gonna be a keynote speaker with Sunny McCallisey? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, what do I have to say? Um, and so, yeah, that was real. That was a real honor. Uh, him and uh, Professor Keith Thor Carlson and, and Ian Rockford Smith. Um, yeah, that, that was a that was a really uh, wonderful event about indigenous place names in the Fraser Valley. Um, yeah, and Sunny told so many stories and offered so much insight. Uh, so yeah, that, that was that was quite a highlight of last summer. Right. Sure. D- does this feel surreal to you at all? Because you, you're kind of a little bit hard on yourself in that you're like, how am I able to sit up here with these individuals when I feel like I'm lucky to be sitting down with you and hearing yeah. your journey through this and yeah. your willingness to share these stories and and approach it with like a sense of responsibility? Yeah. I think that that's what's so important and what yeah. makes your work so authentic. Well, thank you. Um, Yeah, that, I think that the word responsibility is actually, yeah, that's that's kind of how I approached it is like, I'm going to write a hiking book. I want to write it in a way that seems responsible to me, which is why I want to have like information about, uh, you know, minimum impact and, and, uh, culture and history in the book. So yeah, it's, it's about, yeah. How can I talk about these places in a responsible way? And it's always like, I'm learning more and more about, I'm always learning about what that, what that is. Um, and, um, it's been neat to see more awareness among uh, hikers and the public about that as well. Uh, so, yeah, I just, uh, but it is it is funny because like I mean I, I write hiking books. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean I'm in the same knowledge category as Sunny McCallsey. Right, but you're providing more than just like how do you get up a mountain. You're yeah. providing stories. You're providing information on the beauty of the environment, and like that's something that I think for so many who just casually hike, they forget about. They forget about yeah. being able to recognize the difference between the types of trees, the different types of yeah. plants, the different types of mushrooms, um, the different scenery. And so, um, let's talk a little bit for destination hikes. Yeah. Um, what are your favorite things to see? Are you, do you love seeing a beautiful waterfall? Uh, do oh, you yeah. love of like seeing wetlands what stands out to you when you're going on these hikes what's kind of like i want to get up there yeah, so i can yeah. see this? I, love, I love all of it obviously but yeah I, waterfalls are a big thing for me and waterfalls are good year round too so that's a good thing um wildflower meadows and the subalpine and alpine are a big thing there's like it's it's funny like people ask why you hike hiking and i'll say the flowers like the flowers what are you talking 
Um, but it's like the, these colorful meadows right up in the mountains. They're just amazing. Like in July and August, uh, there's something really amazing about being there. And when you're up that high too, you're getting amazing views. Uh, you're breathing like really fresh air. There's butterflies, you know, it's, it's so being among those meadows is, is one of the best feelings. Um, being on, on top of a mountain as well, or walking along a ridge where you can see like in 360, that's really something, um, glaciers. Um, but yeah, also old growth trees, like find, finding old growth trees in the woods, um, just really huge ancient trees and, uh, interesting geology like volcanic stuff or just you know sedimentary i mean there's there's all different layers of that um i like going to the islands any any hike that involves a ferry too is a big thing for me i love ferries there's just so many like there's so many aspects of, of hikes like you like ferries can you elaborate on that what stands i just love going on the ferry yeah so uh yeah any 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 hike that involves like going to bowen island or gambier island or the gulf islands uh and doing a hike uh it's, it's ideal for me. I feel irresponsible that I have no idea which which uh, mount or um, which islands you're talking about right now. Yeah, so Bowen Island and and uh, Gambier Island are in House Sound or Atkinson, uh, I think. Uh, and uh, they uh, they um, yeah, so they have they have small mountains on them, and these are great because they're kind of good all year round, and they have like amazing like Sailor Sea 360 kind of views and. And also on the Gulf Islands, like in Destination Hikes, I've got uh, some stuff on Galliano Island. Um, yeah, but there there are great day hikes there you can do. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And so when you went about cho- choosing those hikes, what was your experience going out there for the first time, taking ferries? Yeah. Did you have to find places to stay or were you like, I'm just going to camp? Yeah, it's it's a mix, right? Some of them, I, I, I really like the ones where you can, you can kind of, uh, you can kind of do it as a foot passenger. Uh, in a day so there's you know there's mount galliano there's mount gardner and there's mount killam um in my books uh and and uh you can do those as a foot passenger um and do that as a day trip a bit long but you can do it uh and then there's ones on like salt spring where you really because of the ferry schedule you really have to go kind of uh car camp there in a in a bc park and then and do the day hikes but yeah so it's a mix i kind of do sometimes they would like often I'll be like planning a weekend and be like, okay, I got to do a few hikes in this area. How can I camp in that area and do these hikes? Right. And so you have to plan it out, make sure that you're able to get there for some of them for a longer period of time. And then for some of them, you're able to kind of get away with going for a shorter period. Yeah. Do you do these typically alone for destination hikes? Did you do these mostly by yourself? No, or did you mostly, go with mostly with friends from, from hiking clubs. Um, yeah. I, I mean, some of them are alone, but usually, uh, you know, there's someone else who wants to go. Right. And yeah. what do those conversations look like? Because I find that when uh, my partner, Rebecca, and I, when we're up in some more unique places where it's off the beaten path, yeah. you meet more interesting people that yeah. I guess have like a different approach yeah. to having that conversation in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, you get kind of more a thoughtful conversation than again, when you're walking down a very main trail and you're kind of like, huh? and you just kind of give yeah. you a little head nod or yeah. whatever. Yeah. There's more of a, a connection or a, a thoughtful conversation. So what is that like within the hiking community uh, it tends to like picking a hike is pretty functional often it's like you know what hikes do you want to do what hikes do you want to do which ones overlap what's good this weekend with the weather it yeah so it just kind of meshes together um and the good thing is always people who want to go hiking and I, I love hiking with new people too so there's i'm always open to hiking new people and um yeah it's uh it's yeah you just kind of 
find something everybody wants to do and it's tends to work out right and do you bring your family at all on these on these hikes i, I do uh i do a few hikes with my son uh he's he's nine and so he likes the shorter end of the hikes so i don't take him on a lot of the big ones i've, I've taken him on on some of the shorter ones like he, he did a quite a few for uh in the new book which right. he calls his book <laughs> and then, um so yeah it's uh but you know it's surprisingly hard to take notes and and photos when you're but and also give your full attention to your child so i did find it a bit challenging to do hiking research with them on those hikes i'd often like take him and it was good to see how he reacted to them and what he liked about them and, and whatnot but i'd often return and and you know take more notes on our second trip and and whatnot right so have you used did you use the same camera and the same kind of style for both books or what kind of did you change around between yeah. the first and second I've, I've definitely used the same cameras for for all the books i've probably switched the nikon i use but it's pretty much the same thing um but uh and the, the note taking is pretty similar i mean i think i learned to take better notes i had to take better notes for the second book too because it's more in depth right um so i think the note taking has gotten better i've gotten a better idea of what i need to take notes on and and also uh with the the, the gps i've been better at i've learned how to kind of take notes in the GPS with waypoints and that better. Right. Um, in the first one, I didn't take them that well, like in terms of plotting them. So I had to draw a lot of the maps at the end uh, in Google Earth, uh, which wasn't great. But, right. Uh, but, you know, it worked out. And, but, uh, so yeah, that's, I've had to learn. So that's become more efficient. Interesting. And so what do you hope that people get out of the Destination Hikes book? What do you think um, is kind of like the story of that book? Um, I think, I think it's like, uh, I like that there's some, there's, there's like some big hikes in there, but there's also like lesser known hikes. I think that people are, are, are finding and, and enjoying and, um, because it's more in depth too, they're getting more of the flavor of the area. Um, yeah, I think it, destination hikes is kind of the way I wanted. It's the book, the first book to kind of turn out in a way. So it's, it's, yeah, I just, um, yeah, it's just, um, and I, yeah, I, I, and the proceeds for that one goes to i want to say the hope outdoors yeah yeah so that would that one um that one i decided to give uh, a small portion of royalties to the hope mountain center for outdoor learning right. and what i like about them is they they do um yeah they're 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 an awesome organization and they do do a lot of outdoor education stuff and um their genesis also comes out of uh a controversy around um raising the level of Ross Lake um and 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 the, the kind of the environmental fallout of of that led to the setting up of a, like a funding mechanism for environmental work and whatnot so they they came out of that and and um they do this outdoor education stuff but they also do uh the trail building and maintenance and what i like about that is their trail building and maintenance work has really um had a reconciliation focus to it 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 They've uh, partnered with, uh, you know, different First Nations, um, depending on the trail, and included information uh, about place names and history. So they'll have colonial, but they'll also have Indigenous history on these panels. And there's a lot to learn. Like I did one of their hikes, um, it's the Dequalis Trail uh, up uh, Fraser Canyon, and that's in uh, 105 hikes. But when I first did it uh, as a high school student, it was called the First Brigade Trail. Um, and it's like, it's quite a different experience to go back and, and hike it again, because now it has these big interpretive panels on it that describe the history in a way that 
we didn't learn. Like I did it as part of a, a history hike. And so we learned about the, the gold rush history of that, that mountain, Lake Mountain. But now they've got kind of the double layer of, of history in there. And it, it really changes the experience of the hike. Like it's, it's a much fuller experience. It's quite something they've done there. Interesting. Can you tell us um, why we need to be ethical when we're hiking? Like, I'm, I'm sure to you, it's like, it's obvious. But for people, like, we still see cans and garbage yeah, yeah. on so many different hikes. And so can you just lay that out to us? Why is that yeah. important? Yeah, it's kind of, there's a few layers to it. There's, there's, there's one, obviously, like, it's environmental, like, well, for wildlife and, and for, um, you know, biodiversity. So there's, there's that, obviously, there's, you know, you, you got to kind of think about it. If, if you're doing something in the environment, basically, I mean, you got to think about a thousand people doing that because it's not just you. You're you're one banana peel. I mean, it's there's other people going to do the same thing, right? Um, on another basic level, it's also just thinking about the enjoyment of other humans, right? It's like um, if you're if you've got your Taylor Swift playing or whatever, uh, you know, you're taking. Um, taking a flower from somewhere, I mean, or a mushroom, like, or, you know, or whatnot, like it's, it, it, um, and if you have no right to do that, like, um, then it's, uh, yeah, you're, you're taking away from what other people are seeing and enjoying. Also, um, you know, just, yeah, it's, they're just, uh, it's basically, yeah, it's the environment, it's other people, and also just being respectful of, of, uh, the use of the area. Like if the area has a cultural purpose or if it's sacred or, um, you know, I mean, settlers, you know, in certain, in, you know, in a lot of areas, they have no business taking, um, you know, plants out of the area or something. But the same is not the same for the indigenous people of the area. They might have the right to, to you know, to harvest or whatnot. So it's just, yeah, understanding that there's um, responsibilities. Yeah, I think of uh, Carrie Lynn Victor did a really good job of laying out why indigenous place names matter. Because for some people, they might be like, why would you like, why does it matter? It's just the name of a place. And mm -hmm. she basically argued with Laquam is that now, you know, it's a mossy area. And so yeah. hopefully, um, first, it starts out and she did a great job of describing the first it starts out as like, kind of a trail, and then it becomes more of a main trail and it gets more developed, yeah. then they put in a park, then they put in a parking lot, yeah. then they put in, um, then they pave the trail, then they yeah. build a house there, then they build a community there, then it becomes a whole area and you start to forget and she argues that if you have the name Laquam, which is mossy place, you will be more likely to protect it because you remember what it was before people came before it was not a mossy place before it became a park or a community that it was once this and so you're yeah. more likely to protect it if you understand what it was yeah i think that's, that's hugely true yeah yeah i think that yeah. it's valuable for people to be able to understand why we do these things why the environment is important to protect because even putting in like a thing like a garbage can now you're pulling in yeah. rats mice other yeah. animals yeah. and then the birds are going to start to notice that yeah. and it changes the ecosystem yeah. in fundamental ways yeah it, it is funny with the hikes I, I find that um there's often places along trails and, and people are like oh there needs to be a sign there or a fence and like well, you're, you're you're three hours away from the trailhead I mean, there doesn't need to be a sign or a fence and everything. Like it's the 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 less changes that we can make out there, like are the better. I mean, every everything you add or change along the trail, um, just for convenience or whatnot, is is taking away from the area. So um, 
yeah, and, but yeah, I mean. Is that something you like, um, being able to get to the point where it's no longer a developed trail, where it's more of like, you can see it, but it's a little bit more gray and you know that you're more in nature, that it's yeah. not a yeah. clearly defined Oh path. yeah, yeah, that's, that's really, yeah, that's what I love. I love those like meadow trails or where you're, you're in the alpine and you're just following some carns or, um, yeah, I love that, the remoter, narrow kind of rough trails yeah right have you had any scares on any of these hikes you've done what's like definitely over 160 hikes um with 105 plus 55 yeah. in the next book yeah. so at a minimum 160 uh, have you had any scares any bear experiences any cougars I've been, I've been really lucky you know i've had no injuries um surprisingly um and no one's had a real injury on a hike with me and uh have need to be rescued yet and um the uh like see lots of bears but i mean uh, after you see them several times you start to get used to it and it's it becomes easier so um what kind of bears sorry were they black bears they're black yeah yeah i mean I, i've 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 still only seen grizzly bears from a vehicle like on the way to a hike i've never seen grizzly bears on a hike still um but you see a lot of black bears i still haven't seen a cougar or a bobcat out there um yeah black bears uh wolves Lots of deer. Well, um, what were those experiences like? Because I, again, yeah. I feel like it's becoming artificial for people to think yeah. about. And I just had Lee Harding on, who's a biologist who was kind of talking about wolf culling, uh, which uh, is basically shooting wolves uh, from helicopters, which yeah. which I completely yeah. disagree. Which is with. Crazy. They're they're like they're just magical creatures too. Like it's yeah, I saw them on the Nuka Trail last summer, and they just like appear out of the fog, like the mist and. You know, they'd be like halfway across my vision before I could see them because they were so camouflaged in the way. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. It's it really, it's really something to see uh, these large mammals out there, um, and and the bears. Uh, yeah, I mean the bears. You realize they're going to generally steer clear of you. Um, you need to make some noise and let them know you're there. And um, yeah, I mean, I've had you know like say five bears kind of around us at certain points and um there were no fears there were no kind of tingles of oh my no goodness. my friend was freaked out though we had to walk all the way to the title shelf and into the water and walk around them that way which is probably smart but i didn't think we had to walk you know as far out as we did we got soaked um <laughs> but you know uh but yeah no we we're, first of all we're carrying bear spray like bear bells uh, not bear bells um Bear, a bit like horns and, and all sorts of stuff so bear bangers um so we've got the safety equipment and then uh you just kind of you can tell they're being aggressive right so you're just you know you're kind of talking softly and backing away you should be you know try to get them space basically and hope they they go their own way usually which is usually what happens um but in, in that like in the summer with the the five bears they were on both sides of us on a narrow beach, so you had to kind of go to the water to get around them because the inside was like pretty dense, like forest, hard to navigate. Um, so yeah, I haven't had any problems so far, luckily. Um, I mean, I guess I guess it's a little scary when you run into cubs because you know the mom's there. So, um, but you know, you just get out of the, give them lots of room and wait. 
So, yeah. Is it humbling at all? Because you start to realize, like, I am just, like, we get so used to thinking we're really important people and I've got my meetings and I've got 50 likes on this new post I made and I'm I'm so busy with all these things that you kind of forget. This bear doesn't care about any of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say so, yeah. Especially, yeah, seeing a bear. Especially seeing seeing a bear, yeah, because bear could could cut you open with that, you know, one claw, you know. So yeah, it's it it is right. And what is it like to see um, the different ecosystems and see rivers running with with fish in them, perhaps, or seeing animals hunting for animals? Like we saw um, right now, the um, Great Blue Heron Reserve has an uh, insane amount of eagles right now, and oh, they're they're yeah. all ages. And oh, it was just so amazing to see them trying to hunt, trying to find mice, trying to find food. And it was just like, yeah. wow, these this is going on all the time. And yeah. again, I think we get lost in our I've got to go to work and I've got this yeah. meeting and oh no, I've got this stress and like, yeah. and then you realize these animals are doing this all day and they don't this is what yeah is. yeah and there's also just noticing the animals because uh, a lot of pikers might be out there and they'll just see an animal and be like oh it's i don't know it's a crow or a pigeon or something but there's actually just so many different kinds out there and yeah. so when you start to take notice you realize oh wow that's that's a different kind and maybe they're only up here for a couple of weeks because they're migrating or so yeah it's uh uh when i was doing the the kids book uh my son and I were at Rice Lake in North Van, and we saw they they were doing a a trout release there, so we actually got to put a couple of trout into the lake, and then um, we saw an eagle swoop down and grab like one of the fish someone else had just put in there. Oh my gosh! And that was pretty neat to yeah. see to see an eagle like come out of National Geographic and come down, you know. <laughs> scoop up a fish yeah and then you remember that that the strength of their talons is just incomprehensible to like the strength of our hands and their wingspans are incomprehensible and these are really majestic animals and you getting to see them in their natural environment i just i think that that's if if there's anything to get out of this it's to connect back with nature and to to understand these environments more yeah and and on the on the coastal hikes too um tend to see uh dead animals more um so i've seen like uh, dead deer with like insides ripped out or dead uh seal or um dead whale and like it's it, it, it's really quite striking to see uh a large animal mammal like kind of decomposing into the environment like it's it's not something you normally get to see and it's uh it, it's i don't know just yeah it's really something that is really interesting because you you kind of get used to seeing them alive and then you kind of go like, wow, this has been taken out or this has been yeah. attacked or yeah. something's going on here yeah. that's part of the natural cycle. And I think we get kind yeah. of in our PG-13 yeah. kind of mindset of like everything needs to be safe and yeah. PG approved. Yeah. And then you realize well, nature really isn't like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what was your kind of journey into this more recent book? And like, what was your kind of approach to getting started with this one? Yeah, so this, this book... Um, I was like, I, I I definitely wanted to write a book of easy, shorter hikes, um, and then and then just the idea of making it a kids book made sense, um, so and and the publisher agreed, so I got to to work on it. So I, I I proposed that idea as I was working on destination hikes. So I had it lined up for immediately once I finished destination hikes, I had to work on this this other book. Um, so it became, yeah, Best Hikes in Nature Walks with kids in and around southwestern British Columbia. And it's got 55 hikes um, of the, yeah, easier and shorter variety. Uh, it kind of covers the same region. So it's, you know, north, east, west, and south of 
of Vancouver. Um, the hikes, you know, are like two hours, three hours, four hours. They're 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 shorter. Um, they're easier, but they're not they're not really they're not supposed to be just nature walks though. Like there's no bike trails or anything. Like they're supposed to be an introduction to hiking. Really, they're they're um, there's changes in elevation. There's you know rougher trails. There's um, it, it really is a good intro to hiking for anyone. Really, it's not just really for kids, but it points out the kid stuff. You know, hollow trees and whatnot. right. And uh, you got Maya Anton, who I'd like to have as a guest. Oh, yeah, because um, I think she's great. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about and about what Maya Anton's doing? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so for I mean for 105 hikes we had um, uh, C. Swice um, wrote the forward for that one, and and she's a amazing um, Squamish ethnobotanist. And so I was like just someone I'd, I'd I'd that for years I knew like if I wrote a hiking guide book she might be one person that I want to open it. And then and then for destination hikes uh, Cecilia Cecilia Point from Musqueam um, wrote the intro, and her intro is amazing. Um, and then and Maya like. Um, Maya is interesting because I actually didn't know about her work until more recently. Whereas, like Cecilia and Cease, I've been following their work for years, right. like as a journalist and whatnot. Like, um, and and but but Maya, I mean, she founded Indigenous Women Outdoors. She's a Squamish language teacher. Um, does all sorts of work. Uh, um, just an incredible uh, young person out there doing doing real work. And so, yeah, I just. Asked her if she um, wanted to, was interested in writing, and we had a nice conversation about it. And, and I was really honored that she agreed. And um, yeah, she does a lot around um, spreading, um, you know, sharing Indigenous knowledge, and and uh, is just such a great like spokesperson so yeah it's a it's a it's the perfect intro to the book really it's, it's, it's a great yeah from my understanding she works to reconnect indigenous women with the natural environment yeah. and i again i think that that's also what you're doing um for everybody but reconnecting people with these these relationships with yeah the land. yeah so um yeah she's yeah she's making those connections and making it possible for indigenous people who've been disconnected from their lands to, to reconnect so yeah it's uh yeah it's incredible that work that's happening and 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 also the language work that she does and so yeah it's just uh, uh lucky to have someone like Maya writing the forward for the book and it's a it's also I think it's a, it's a it's a great intro to the book and I think having having that um it it definitely sets the tone for the book like I, I think i think people have really appreciated the forwards in the other book and and um they, they found it like it, it makes you think kind of going into the book in a different way about it so yeah it's uh and also just having like right off the bat um you know just acknowledging that there's there's a, a history here uh and a culture here and, and people here that are usually ignored in, in in most hiking literature so um yeah i don't know it's important to have that yeah, I think of just uh, personally, my grandmother attended Indian Residential School, mm -hmm. and then um, my mother was born with fetal alcohol syndrome disorder as a consequence yeah. of the drinking that took place yeah. um, when she was um, 
a fetus. And so, and then my mother was taken as part of the 60s scoop into a Caucasian family. And my non-biological grandmother was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but we, I grew up with more of a disconnect from the indigenous place names. Wow, yeah. um, I, I don't know how to fish. Um, I'm getting into more to hiking. Yeah. Uh, we just bought Andy McKinnon's um, mushroom book. Yeah. Um, we've got your book. And so we're really trying to find those trails that are off the beaten path to make those connections again. Yeah. And I think that that's so important to share with other people because we get so lost in like perhaps sports, football, yeah. um, the UFC, these things are good, yeah. but you're not connecting with nature and you're yeah. not understanding that there is life out there. Like trees live so much longer yeah. than us and they're here and they provide life. And um, yeah. when I was talking to Sonny McKelsey, how we tried to use the tree without cutting it down right. and how strategic we are. Like you think of how respectful indigenous people have been towards conservation and the relationship yeah. with life for so long that it's, it's humbling to learn about. And it's, it, it places us as stewards for the environment. And yeah. just to go to your books, like I feel like that's the work you're doing in your books is to say like, before you go into these hikes, you're a steward for this environment and you have a responsibility. If you're going to enter that you understand these things. And I think that that's, what's so important that people take away from um, when they're traveling or exploring that they're understanding their role within these environments. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still definitely like looking at things through a hiking lens and, and that hiking lens is very colonial and extractive often. Like it's interesting, I was talking, when I was talking to C. Swice about the first book and, sh and, uh, and she was like, well, actually, I don't really hike. You know, I go into the woods. You know, I, 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 I go and I harvest and I, um, and I was like, that's okay. You don't like it's I'm not asking you to introduce hiking. Like it's um, so it's just the the way of looking at things is can be quite different. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. I don't know. There's there's a, a lot to learn, and um, yeah, I'm happy to be able to do what I can. But there's always there's just uh, you know learning. I think things will change and I'll have to approach things differently as time goes on and I learn more. Right. What do you think the parallels are for hiking and like how to live a good life? Because there was this one really good example and I forget who said it, but they were like, for some people, they get up halfway to the top of the mountain and they realize they took the wrong route. So they just stay there. Um, but a, like a great leader or a great mind is willing to own their mistake, come back down and find a different path to the top. But so many people in, I think, their lives, they go, uh, like, I think a good example might be school is they go like, well, I took this four year degree and now I don't even want to use it. So now, yeah. now I go have to go find a job I don't want to do because I took this like criminology course and I thought I was going to be a police officer. Now I don't want to be a police officer anymore. Yeah. So now I have to go be something within this field because that's what I set out to do. And I got my education in this yeah. and they're not willing to say, okay, let's go back to square one. Where do I want to go? And it, it kind of sounds like that's what you did within your journalism was you were like, this isn't me anymore. This isn't where I want to go. And this isn't the direction I want to take. So you're willing to, uh, to use the metaphor, go back down the mountain and figure out the next path. And yeah. it's taken you, it sounds like it's been more fulfilling than um, perhaps you might have expected when you were quitting the job. Because in that moment, people are like, whoa, 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 you're leaving the job. Like, yeah. things are going to be tough. Like, how do yeah. you know this is the right move? Yeah, especially since journalism was such a huge part of my identity. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm not going to be a journalist anymore. That is hard. Um, yeah, working in newspapers was a big, big part of me. So, um, journalists also tend to have this 
fiction they tell themselves too that everything they do is like you know really good and and helping the world it's not true though right <laughs> um but um you know obviously journalism is important plays an important role in society and everything but not everything you write is like helpful uh you know you're sometimes you're passing on perspectives that aren't helpful and you're the way you frame things like it's it's you know it's it's kind of you're playing an important role but journalists need to be a little more self-reflective i think but but yeah i love journalism and uh leaving it was hard i didn't go that far i went to communications right so um but yeah it realigned with what i wanted to do when i went to university so when i went to university too like i i was supposed to i don't know what i thought i was going to do with geography right thought i'd work for environmental organizations um but I ended up at the student newspaper, the peak at SFU, and that's how I stumbled on in journalism, right? I just liked the paper, so I volunteered to write CD reviews, um, bad CD reviews. Uh, Sorry, CD reviews? Yeah. CD, oh, like like, like music, music reviews? Music reviews. Oh, okay. Yeah, bad bad music reviews. And then ended up like volunteering to write news, and that's how I got into being a news editor. And uh, It was an amazing experience, really. Student newspapers. Um, because you get to learn on the job um, and you're learning from like your peers and you're getting to do stuff that otherwise you wouldn't be able to do. And you can go to a prime minister's press conference and whatnot, and you can just do all this stuff and you can write it however you want. Um, before you, before we move on from that, yeah. I just want to uh, give my appreciation because the work that the peak has done, I've actually utilized multiple different times with yeah. um, Ryan Darcy, who's a neuroscientist. And then uh, more recently, Sammy can, yeah. who uh, is also a, a pr professor at uh, SFU. And so it does play a role. And without those yeah. little um, blurbs, yeah. I would have not known about these people and I couldn't have interviewed oh. them without their work. Cool. That's cool. And, and, you know, it's, it's the thing about, working at a student newspaper like that too is is that it got me it got me i mean it, it made it possible for me to get into journalism without going to journalism school right the, that's how that's how i got the job at the road street because the editor had read my work in the paper um i also it's also how i got to um i lived in toronto for a few years when i was starting out in media and and worked at the toronto sun and canadian university press and so there's a lot of experience in there experiences in there um, but that allowed me to meet a lot of different journalists. And also, like, the amazing thing about journalism, too, is you, you talk to all these people. You get to talk to people. Like, if you're interested in somebody, you can interview them about something. Um, so I got to interview so many people uh, that were doing amazing things and not so amazing things. And people I definitely wouldn't have talked to if I didn't have that reason to. Um, and being a place like the Georgia Strait, which is an alternative newspaper, um also and i was i was an editor there so i pretty much had free reign to to follow you know to do what i wanted to write about which is why i was able to write about any hiking by book that came out or you know you know i just you know so i was able to learn so much from all these different people um and all that knowledge is useful uh when writing hiking guidebooks too so yeah and it also sounds like you like as much as you were respectful to your roles it sounds like you tried to make sure that the role was serving you as much as you're serving the role that yeah. you were willing to say like okay i'm willing to do this work but i want to make sure i'm getting i'm feeding i don't know you can say like feeding your soul feeding yeah. your passion yeah. I, I think i think that was started from being in student journalism um there's a, a whole debate in student journalism about whether or not uh, student journalists should should just cover stuff on campus or be an alternative media source and i was hard on the alternative media source side so i covered you know stuff on campus but i was also like covering protests in the downtown east side and 
and, and provincial politics and whatnot, like covering what I thought was interesting because I thought we could cover it in a different way. So, and then working at an alternative newspaper. So I've always thought like journalism doesn't have to be uh, a certain way. It can be like, you're going to hear like two, three perspectives on CKNW, but maybe we could just focus on the fourth and fifth one or something. Um, so it, I didn't always, I always felt that there, I didn't have to do things in a particular way. And that if I was interested in something, you know, I could write 10 stories about it. Um, and people might complain, but it's, you know, it's a balance. You're balancing out the other stuff. You're not having to have the whole balance in your one piece. Right. Yeah. How do you feel about that right now? Just, um, I know you're no longer um, in that kind of medium, but I do think that what you're saying is important. I think that having different perspectives allows us to have a more informed yeah. public discussion. What are your thoughts on um, the ethics of journalism and, and the responsibilities they have? Yeah, I think it's well. I think it's hard now because, of course, we have media sources that are catering to particular political points of view. So, um, like on one hand, it's good to have media sources that come from different points of view, because it was bad back in the day when we were also just hearing a mainstream point of view all the time. But when they're not able to take facts. Or, um, you know, acknowledge facts, and that's a problem. Also, it's been it's been really sad to see like how, how much the media has contracted and become smaller uh, since I was in in, in journalism. Uh, I mean, a lot of the newspapers that I first got work with aren't even here anymore. And um, and again, as a communications person, I noticed that as the years go by, I have less and less journal less and less journalists to try to approach to get to write about. Um, the stuff that I'm, you know, doing in my organizations, right. and so it's, uh, yeah, it's it's journalism is a tough industry to be in. I'm glad I, I don't I don't know how I've the, the people who are still going to it. I'm I'm really impressed with. Yeah, I um I subscribe. I don't know if you know the Fraser Valley Current. I love the Fraser Valley Current. Yes, and Tyler Olson, um, Jody Gruel, and. Oh, I'm forgetting the other, um, Grace Kennedy, yeah. um, are doing great work because they're doing the in-depth pieces again. They're doing yeah, actual amazing. genuine writing of like long information that lays out. This is, um, like the government's perspective. This is the first nations community's perspective. Yeah. This is this biologist guy's perspective yeah. and really going through it all. And, uh, I just saw that Tyler was kind of like, we're not that different from regular news sources. And I was like, you are, you really, you're giving yeah. back. Like when I read your piece, I feel like it's balanced. I feel like yeah. your personal perspective is really not there. And I appreciate that. I know that you have your viewpoints, but I can feel when I'm reading this, that this is the facts again. Yeah. This is something I can be confident in. Yeah. And I'm really optimistic when I see that. And I'm hoping yeah. to have the CEO of OMG, the um, the news or overstory media group. Oh, uh, Farhan? Uh, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I would love to interview him because yeah. I think his model is hopefully the future because I know that for a certain period of time you had venture capitalists coming in kind of gutting the, the newsroom area and, yeah. and getting rid of the, the extra parts yeah. and really cutting down these businesses and his approach has been very different and hopefully the future of journalism hopefully um, his model is successful and I'd like yeah. to support it in any way I can. Yeah it's been neat to see how, how far he's come too because he used to be I remember I met him when he was at Bansley Buzz which became Daily Hive and they did really poor journalism for many years um and then and and but he's what they're doing at this omg media um with these community-based email newsletters like you wouldn't think email newsletters 
would have these huge in-depth stories that they're doing at the current. Um, and there's also like there's the Tri Cities Dispatch is another one uh, that's a different company that's Constellation Media. Um, but they they do these yeah they're they're providing these amazing these are replacing community newspapers, but they're 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 bringing back that in-depth thing that you wouldn't think would happen with an email email based, um, but it works really well. Yeah, I'm really optimistic, and I hope that they continue because there's something. There's just something that feels different, and I don't want to harp on any one journalist, but when I go on Facebook and I see them posting their, yeah. not uh, Fraser Valley Current, but when I see other news organizations posting their article and then posting their opinion yeah. of what they're saying, it's like, now I don't feel like I'm getting a, a balanced perspective. Yeah. Now I feel yeah. like I'm reading your perspective on what's going on, yeah. which is really just an opinion piece. Yeah. And when I can't tell the difference between your opinion piece and your writing as just a pure journalist, yeah. there, to me, I'm concerned now. Yeah. It's like watching CNN now. Just they can't they don't divide the opinion from the news now. It's like awful. <laughs> yeah, and it's very concerning because I feel like there's very reasonable people like yourself yeah. who have been in the industry who are saying this, and yet at the same time I see so many people saying CNN is as balanced as it's ever been, and it's like oh, I don't I don't know how you can say that. And I think that when we can't have faith in these institutions, the whole political conversation is yeah. more messy because we can't even agree on what news is and what opinion is. And yeah. then the the politicalization of everything yeah. increases. And that concerns me because I do believe in climate change and I've gotten to interview various people who have deep knowledge. But that's, again, an issue that's become politicized over time because yeah. news organizations aren't as trusted as they used to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not a great state of affairs. So, um, can you tell us about what what the pivot was for you in regards to like you went from the peak and then you um, moved into I think the Georgia Strait and you worked for a few different. What was that experience like and what did yeah. you gain from that? Yeah, it's 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 been really something because like st started off at the peak, which is like an alternative student newspaper. You, you it's a lot of freedom to try to experiment and do stuff. Um, and then I went to Canadian University Press, which is like a national newswire uh, that's made up of student papers. And that was wonderful because I was able to get like the national editor position. And so I, I was able to meet like up and coming journalists all across the country who are now like at all these outlets all around the country and and like, uh, you know, work on content that went to all these papers. And that got me um, that allowed me to get a job at the Toronto Sun, which is totally different. It's more of a, a conservative tabloid, um, but I got great experience there, uh, being acting as kind of another like a kind of like with my job at the Student Newswire was facilitating content sharing and then editing, um, copy editing like the uh, political stories out of Ottawa and um, Queens Park, and and um, so I got a ton of experience there, and then got to go to Georgia Strait, which is where I always wanted to work. Um, having you know read it since like high school and university that's where i wanted to work um and so i got to work there and I got a lot of got a lot of freedom there from the editor um yeah and just the the people i've been able to meet and the things i've been able to learn and who i've been able to talk to and go uh had been like huge like just being able to satisfy my curiosity about about things 
Right. And so who are some of your role models within the space? You've talked about your experiences as a journalist. You've gotten to meet various people. Um, you've had the opportunity to um, interact and like, I'm sure you know who Andy McKinnon is. Um, you've gotten to have Cecilia Point. Um, who are some of your role models who inspire you in the work you do today? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, definitely there's, well, there's, there's, the, there's the, the authors of the previous guidebook. And then there's the, the authors of the guidebooks in the States, uh, Spring and Manning. Um, there's, uh, yeah, uh, you know, various like knowledge holders and, and um, people that I've encountered, like uh, C. Swice and Celia Point and uh, Sunny McCalsey. And uh, people people who are like, yeah, doing um, also like making real change in the world, like like Maya and Tom. Um, Lots of environmentalists like Joe, Joe Foy at the Wilderness Committee, um, people who've been involved in these uh, fights over long years to to protect uh, these you know natural areas that where there's a lot of hikes, um, um, whether it's like in Manning Park or you know Garibaldi, all all those areas. There's lots of people that have put time into those areas. Um, so yeah, just uh, I don't know, it's a wide variety of people, right? Do you have any thoughts on what's going on with Fairy Creek right now? Fairy, Fairy Creek, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little out of touch with what's going on there right now. Um, I know the, the Wet'suwet'en um, struggle is getting a lot more media attention lately, so I've been paying more attention to that. Um, but Fairy Creek, Fairy, Fairy, Fairy Creek definitely has been interesting to see. and. Um, also, the conversations, all the conversations just raised about who has the right to speak for the land there and and uh, what what is the role of like uh, these outside protesters and, and and whatnot. Like, it's been pretty complicated. Um, but, like, obviously, it's uh, old growth trees. There aren't, you know, there's, there's not as many left as there used to be, and there's less and less, and something needs to be done. Um, and, uh, you know, like Squamish Nation said they want a moratorium on the cutting of old growth trees in their territory because there's so little left. And so there's there's things happening. Um, so, yeah, I don't yeah, it's, it's it's a tough it's, question. It's, 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 yeah, it's been it's been really something to see people stand up for the area. But it's also been like some aspects of that have been troubling as well, like like who who speaks for the area and and. and you know, there's been some people in that group that, you know, who seem to be speaking out of turn um, for the protesters. It's been it's been it's been a strange thing to watch. Right. And how do you stay up to date on these kind of events and um, like writing your book? Like, it seems like this is something that you're genuinely interested in. Mm -hmm. And so I think of like, um, I watched Fantastic Fungi on Netflix, which is a series about um, with Paul Stamets, uh, UBC professor, um, Susan Simard. Um, there's um, Andy McKinnon's book, BC Mushrooms. Yeah. How do you go about kind of staying up to date on um, what's going on? Because yeah. you've, you've kind of had a journey of like, um, and I'm interested to know, like, what's your journey been in regards to learning about the um, plants and then the trees and, and yeah. perhaps the wildlife? Have you had like a learning curve and is each year something where you're like kind of diving into a new topic? Yeah, it's just been gradual, I think. Um, I, I, I like field guides, so I've got a bunch of those. and. Uh, yeah, just uh, 
yeah, I mean, in terms of keeping up to date with things and whatnot, I mean, it's, you know, reading things, reading long reads and, uh, I mean, I, I try not to spend too much time on social media, but I mean, if you're following something like Fairy Creek, like you, you actually do have to follow it on social media because you have to follow like land defenders who are actually there and to, to you know, get that perspective, you're not going to see it anywhere else. So yeah, it's just trying to, trying to follow things, but not get too overwhelmed. Um, you know, I'm not as much of a news junkie as I was when I was in, in journalism because I, I burned that out of me a bit. But I still do love, you know, reading the news and whatnot. So. Right. So where would you like to take this moving forward? Is I know your book's coming out in May. Do you have something kind of already on the horizon? Or what are your kind of plans after that book release? Yeah, I do, it's just, uh, well, I'll be after after that, after the kids book, like with kids book comes out, um, I'll, I'll be doing, I'll be working on an update of the first book. So 105 Hikes is going to get a second edition in a few years. So I need to start uh, doing research for that, and so that's that's cool because I'll be able to to kind of you know take what I've learned from from the other books and and apply it to that you know and and um, make 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 that book better I think like make the writing better and make the photos better and um, I also just want to I just want to make the book quite quite new so I want to I want to you know change uh like 20 30 of the hikes maybe um just to to make it more of a new book and 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 but also update you know info for the other hikes and so yeah that'll be a bunch of work right of. when you talk about like updating the photos and changing the language can you elaborate on that because yeah. i'm super interested in your like i really respect people who are willing to like improve and with the podcast i'm always looking at uh getting new video cameras how do i improve the audio <laughs> quality how do i make the the experience for the guests better how do i promote it better so it reaches yeah. more people how do i make sure that the questions i'm asking resonate how do i make sure i'm doing enough research and i'm informed so i can have a good conversation and i'm always trying to improve the craft and i always respect individuals like yourself you did an interview where you talked about how you're trying to improve your craft you're trying to improve these yeah. things and so i'm interested to know what does that actually look like well, I think I think part of it is like uh, never really lose that imposter syndrome. So you're always kind of <laughs> a little anxious about your work. So um, so yeah, I, I always am seeing. You know, I pick up the book and I see what's wrong with it, right? So it's it's just it's. Uh, I'll be able to. It's great to have a chance to to rewrite things, and I'll be able to like there's trails that I've revisited, and and you know, and I've also gotten feedback about some of the write-ups too, right? Like, you know, good and bad. So it's being able to have the chance to revise it and make it how it, I want it to be and how it should be. And also, like, there might be some hikes where I focused a lot on a certain aspect, but now I'm interested in another aspect. So I want to focus on that more, you know? So it's, it's yeah, I, I, it's like, I'm sure some of the hike write-ups won't change that much because nothing's changed there. And maybe I'm happy with the focus, but there's some where I, where I know, like, I started the the write up a different certain way, and you know, I, I think maybe I focused on this aspect for too much, and I want to kind of get right into the hike, and then, you know, talk about this aspect, or you know, I, I'm sure there's there's yeah, I'm an editor, right? So, uh, I also want to edit it. <laughs>
Fair enough. And is there like times you want to do certain hikes when you're planning a book like this? Do you go like, this is so beautiful during the spring or during the fall? And like, yeah. I want to get that aspect of it. Yeah, um, especially like, with summer hikes. Yeah. Uh, for wildflower season and that kind of thing. Um, doesn't always work out though. There's definitely some hikes that I've done like, uh, you know, in, in September when it's snowing, when I would have preferred to do it, you know, in August. Um, so you try to schedule that out. Um, at the same time, I'm also pretty loosey-goosey about the scheduling. So things don't always happen when they're supposed to. Yeah, my partner and I tried to do uh, Joffrey Lake. Yeah. And uh, we did it in, oh, it would have been like June. Yeah. Um, and it was still completely snow. And yeah. we did not expect that. Yeah. So yeah. we pulled up and it's all snowy. And we were like, guess we're not uh, doing this hike today. <laughs> and we didn't dress for it. We were yeah. just kind of like, it's June. And in Chilliwack, it's super sunny and warm. Yeah. And it's like 30 degrees. And yeah. it's not um, at that elevation. And so yeah. have you ever run into that? Or do you ever uh, hike in the snow? I hike in the snow. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm not as big into snowshoeing as other hikers are. Um, just don't enjoy it as much. But I do do it. and. Um, I also just do, I take the winter time also and do a lot of lower elevation hikes and nature walks. So that's when I do a lot of the forest walks um, and waterfall stuff. So it's, yeah, just hiking around and I, I just trend to do lower elevation um, things. It, it's good because there's a lot of forest hikes that I might not do in the summertime because I'm focused on getting up a little higher. But um, I can do all the valley things in the off season. That is so cool because I think of, that would be something I guess that would benefit me is because we're interested in doing hikes, but we're terrible at planning in advance. And so we're like, oh, we want to do like Joffrey Lake right now. And uh, it's like, it's January. Like yeah. this is a terrible time to try and do yeah. that. Yeah. And so being able to figure out what seasons are good seasons to be able to do these hikes and enjoy yourself and yeah. and get out there and kind of having a plan for that in advance. Yeah. And so in, in yeah, in the in the hiking with kids book, there is info on whether you know what season the hikes are good in. Um and that's uh yeah so that that's supposed to help with that and um but yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of nature walks in the valley that are good all year round and um sometimes doing like the muddy hikes is really good in the winter because the mud's frozen yeah. that's brilliant and uh the other thing i wanted to ask you about there's two um one is your choice to swim because you uh, you changed yeah. that over time. You started yeah, out yeah. as somebody who wasn't interested in swimming yeah. that much when you were doing your hikes, and then you kind of switched your perspective. Could you share that? Yeah, I, I never really swam on hikes. Like I never really did lake swimming, um, and I just I was a not a great swimmer. Right, um, growing up, I like flunked out of the swim club because um, of asthma, I guess. And then I've just always been a really bad swimmer. Um, and then. Uh, yeah, just a few years ago, uh, decided to start just, you know, I'd always be like, nah, I'm not going to swim. But then be like, oh, I missed out, right? And then started swimming in lakes. And, and it's funny, like the more you swim in lakes, the more comfortable it is, the less you, it doesn't feel as cold even. Um, and so now every chance I get, I'm trying to swim in, in lakes on hikes. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I've swam in like, really cold rivers and you know with that kind of glacial blue in it and it's super cold and then uh you know gone up in the mountains and swam in alpine lakes um even at like nighttime with the stars above and it's just like it really adds to the it just really adds to the experience uh and i love it now so it's so, so it's so refreshing the only thing is i have to be careful not to like swim too long like on a hard hike or something because swimming's tiring 
like moving your whole body right and then and then you have to hike down like <laughs> yeah i can't imagine that's another part i uh, i'd like to know about because um people forget about the amount of light pollution that we have yeah. and you're a person who gets away from that do you take an interest in um the stars and the the yeah. and looking at the sky at night yeah yeah really into really into that um the light pollution, yeah, and the lack of light pollution is something that really struck me early on in one of my, some of my first camping trips. Like I remember waking up in the middle of the night at Elfin Lakes uh, in Garibaldi Park to to go to the washroom and and be stumbling outside and seeing the Milky Way and really noticing the Milky Way for the first time. Like it was just brilliant. Um, so yeah, being being out there and being able to, I always try to. I love watching the sunset. I if I'm if I'm camping. Uh, out in the backcountry, I pretty much always wake up for sunrise. Um, I can't sleep very well anyway. So, but just being able to watch the sunrise, usually no one else wakes up too. Like everyone else will still be sleeping. Um, but I always try to make sure to go out. I mean, you always have to go out to go to the washroom in the night when you're camping anyways for some reason. Um, so I always try to go up, make sure to get out to see the stars. Um, and yeah, it's incredible. The you can generally if you you know if you wait a few minutes, you're probably going to see at least one meteor. Um, and yeah, just being able to see the Milky Way so clear, uh, you just can't see that in the city. It's, it's kind of overwhelming looking at that sky. Yeah. It's, yeah, so I really do enjoy that aspect and you know, light pollution is a problem. Yeah. It's something that actually does invoke, um, a sense of awe in people yeah. when they actually get to see it and they understand like, oh, we're like a little blue marble yeah. hurtling through space, able to see, um, light that's traveling yeah. at, intense speeds and realizing that um some of the light that you're seeing is actually from burnt out stars yeah. that are no longer that way anymore but that light hasn't traveled like um there's so many different aspects to nature that yeah. i think we can disconnect from as i think i've i've alluded to multiple times and the sky is one of them and um i just got my partner um for her birthday a telescope oh, because nice. we're trying to commit ourselves to educating ourselves on these things uh, and and understanding mushrooms more and because they're they're like our ancestors yeah. there we have like a long relationship in terms of like um the tree of life with mushrooms uh, and they they help um destroy old trees um but they also give life to new things and they have yeah. they play an integral role like if you learn about lion's mane and its impact on our neurons and you learn about chaga and the immune benefits of it like there's so many different things to learn about in terms of the environment and how it can yeah. have a reciprocal relationship with us and carrie lynn victor who's a uh, a plant medicines practitioner talks about the benefit of plants and, and how to interact with those in a healthy way and i think that having more of those connections and and learning about things like uh when i watched um fantastic fungi um they talk about how there's mycelium underneath yeah. and the trees with the mycelium are able to feed the other tree yeah. if they have more food they're able to move that food yeah. through the mycelium through to another tree or to their tree baby to the right. tree relationship and that's like a, a susan smart thing right her, her research right yeah correct like, yeah it's incredible incredible like yeah. it's crazy and then you like and then you're out there and like to me that's why we're so lucky to yeah. know people like you and like yeah. i don't think of you as just a hiker i think of you as like an educator for what these beautiful mountains have to tell us and teach us and and share with us in terms of our understanding of the natural environment and the beauty that you could miss out on if you just stay on your local trail that's uh, paved and yeah. well maintained and groomed you can lose your understanding of how bizarre this planet is <laughs> yeah i'm just lucky great right? because i i i Hiking is my favorite thing to do. 
and I'm able to share my like channel my passion into these books. So it's just uh, it's uh, it comes naturally, um, and I just uh, I really like writing the books. I mean, obviously it 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 also is like it's hard as hell to sit down and write. I find like, uh, but when once you get going, then it's 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 great, and I love the I love like um, yeah, it's amazing the things you enter unearth when you're so i feel like i feel like my work is 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 you know it builds upon that you know real work with the earth like people like sonny mccallsey and susan samard that they do because they're they're out there doing you know the real cultural or research work and i'm learning from it but i get to uh you know relate it to the hiking and 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 talk about it that way so yeah yeah, I think that that's that's where we're lucky, and I it scares me when I think about people not reaching their full potential because, and that's why I think it, highlighting people like yourself is so important from my perspective because I want to encourage people to figure out what your passion is, whatever it is, and then share that with the world, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. And you found a way to do that, and I think that that sets a, an example for other people to go figure that out. And when I think of my indigenous community, when I think of people who are just getting by when they're working at Save On or when they're struggling at McDonald's, that you need to figure out what that passion is and then just make it a part-time thing. Start on Saturdays and Sundays. Put a little bit of work into whatever it is, whether it's hiking, whether it's um, talking to people, whether it's educating yourself on topics, yeah. and then start a social media page. Start sharing it bit by bit let people know that you're interested and then doors will slowly open start a podcast talking about yeah, your favorite it. things yeah exactly yeah. start sharing what you enjoy with the world yeah. and hopefully those doors were open and then people like me want to sit down and talk to you and yeah. learn about how did you come about this and yeah. how did you get started because yeah. we're so lucky when people choose to do that because other people could get a book deal and be like oh i'll just tell them how to get to the top of the mountain and that's yeah. all that i'll do and then yeah. and then we miss out on the ethics and the indigenous history and like yeah. to me you've taken such an ethical approach to this by highlighting i think every forward has been done by an indigenous person and so you've really worked hard to tie that in and make sure that whoever reads your book is educated on the ethics and the responsibilities and learning about not just how to get to the top, but the beauty between you and the top and, and going mm-hmm. back down. And I think that when we're able to learn about those things, it, it feeds a part of us that I don't know if we know exists. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if the news would ever be able to cover that, that they'd ever see that aspect of it. Like, it's not just about getting to the top, taking the photo, which is what you see on Instagram is like, look at me, I made it to the top and yeah. all of the journey there gets lost. Yeah. And that's what you kind of highlight in your book is it's not just about the top. It's about this old growth tree you're yeah. going to walk past. It's about this meadow you're going to see. And these flowers are unique to this area. And there's a lot to learn between you and the top. And you'll be better off by learning these things. Yeah, that's a, that's what I love about, about this stuff. Yeah, it's uh, I'm lucky to be able to do it. Right. And so you're going to be working on your next book. Um, shortly here, which is going to be 105 Hikes, the the sequel. Yeah. Um, where do you want to take this long term, though? Do you enjoy doing the public speaking elements? Um, where do you kind of envision yourself within this over the next like five years? Well, I've, uh, public speaking has always freaked the hell out of me. Um, but but in promoting the books, I've actually learned to become comfortable with it um, and started to enjoy it. So yeah, it's uh, I'll never be in the speaking for the sake of speaking, but. Uh, it, I do like doing the media stuff. That's good, um, but yeah, in terms of like, uh, I'll do more. Yeah, I'll do more public speaking during you know for the books and, and to talk about those issues if I'm invited. Um, 
but yeah, I I hope to continue writing books, but I'm also happy if these are the books that end up being it and I just get to update them. Um, yeah, so I'm not I'm not too sure. I mean, I I feel like I could work on hiking books for quite a long time. Um, I'm not sure if there's another type of uh, material that I, I want to get into. I'm definitely not a novelist. So yeah, I, I, I don't know, but I definitely hope to work on hiking guides for this region for, for as long as I can. You said for this region, can you just tell me a little bit about what made you choose just to stick with the Southwestern kind of BC area? Is there any desire long-term over your life to go see other um, areas like the Yukon or other yeah. parts of the world? There's definitely a desire to go, but in terms of writing, um, in terms of book writing, like, I mean, I live here, right? I've, I've grown up here, so it, it just makes sense to me to write about this area. It's also like in terms of logistics, it makes sense, you know, to do this area. Um, I mean, if I wanted to, I could probably do other regions, but that would require quite a lot of doing quite a lot of time out of town. And, and stuff like that so it'd be i think it'd be logistically difficult for me to do it and um um yeah i mean uh, i'm here my my kids here and so yeah it's a i just i'm kind of devoted to this area so i i love this area and i definitely want to try some trails elsewhere but um i kind of like those to not be my writing too those are my like when I do the trails on the west coast of Vancouver Island, it's out of my area for writing. I, I like I don't choose to write about that area, right? So I, I don't. I take no notes and I turn my phone off. Right, and that's where you kind of reconnect with your yeah. passion for it. It yeah. sounds like yeah, yeah, interesting. Because I think that it's so valuable for people to realize how hard it is to write these books. Yeah. Because like you think like when you go for a hike, you're like, oh, well, like what's I got to the top and I came down. Like I do, I've done elk multiple different times, yeah, yeah. and it's a it's a pretty easy one when you think about like being able to get to the top and bottom. Yeah. Um, relatively well done maintained trail and i don't know about the trees in the area or what yeah. the area might have been known for and so when you're putting in work to explain each trail and all the information it's it wouldn't be easy to do like all the trails in canada when you think of how much it's work it's taken just to do the southern part of bc yeah yeah it, it, it yeah it'd, it'd be quite yeah, it'd be quite a lot i think it'd be quite a lot i try to challenge to do um a large area i mean one thing is that by me focusing on this area, I'm constantly learning about this particular area, and the the the, the research and learning kind of builds on itself. So, um, I've learned so much from going through these books, and and um, yeah, I tend to I tend to write hikes together in a kind of in a region, and um, uh, and learn a whole bunch about that particular area while I'm writing about it. Uh, but yeah, I think it'd be it's interesting too because sometimes people look at aspects of the books and they're like indigenous place names. They're like, send me a link to uh, where I can find all of them. I'm like, you can't find all of them. There's no place. There's there's like dozens of languages here. They're not. There isn't going to be one place where you can find the names. Like it's such a uh, ridiculous way of looking at it. And and so yeah, there often people will ask like, where do you get these names? I'm like, well, I had to look at like so many documents to find them um but they're out there right they, like, you, but there's not going to be one place to it's it's not necessarily going to be easy to learn about all these things so it's 
Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. And perhaps maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe yeah. it's good that you have to put in work. Um, like we live in a time where yeah. things are made too easy and yeah. that you almost appreciate it. Like um, when Google was kind of getting started, people thought like, we're going to have the most informed society we've <laughs> ever had yeah. because you're going to be able to ask every question imaginable yeah. and we're going to have such an informed populace. Yeah. And now we're all kind of going like, well, why do we not have those encyclopedia books where you yeah. can flip to a page yeah. and you don't know what you're going to learn. You don't know what you're going to read about and you yeah. don't know what you're going to connect with yeah. in that book. If you just open it up and start going, oh, I didn't even realize yeah. I could ask that question. And so yeah. I think we get lost in making it easier and easier and easier to the point where it's like, well, now you've kind of lost the beauty of the journey of learning. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned encyclopedias because growing up, my, my family did have a set of the world book encyclopedia and my brother used to kid me because I would read it. Like I would just read it. And I, I especially liked reading about all the different countries and all that. So I know I read all about the little microstates and everything. You know, like it's like, but yeah, just you, you, you don't flip through things. And well, I mean, you can go down the Wikipedia rabbit hole, I guess, now. But, but it's, uh, yeah, it's different. You don't encounter things as much that you weren't predisposed to. Um, yeah. Yeah, I um, have my grandmother's uh, world book series, and um, I'm proud to have it because I think it is something that we forgot about, and we get so lost in trying to get the answer to a question that yeah. we forget about the the beauty of not knowing or the beauty yeah. of learning over time and yeah. your willingness to go through these things and learn about them and try to understand more. I think that 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 sets an example of like, this has been a journey for you as yeah. much as it's been an, ex an educational experience for others yeah. that you've had to go learn things in order to tell people. It's not been like, a, yeah. I've known it all for 30 years and I'm just going to tell you what I know. Yeah. It's been like, a, I have to go out and learn and expose myself to new information and then come back to my readers and yeah. educate them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been, um, especially the historical uh, aspects and um, learning about some of the indigenous place names. And the different languages, like that's a, that's a lot of learning. Um, it's it's been a lot of learning, and it's been there's still like an incredible amount to learn. But you, yeah, you can't just uh, pick it up. Like, um, it just takes a lot. And and yeah, people always want like a the the quick answer. And um, like with that site, uh, Native Land, right? Um, you see so many land acknowledgements now that are just copied and pasted out of there, and so many of them are wrong. Like so many of them are either got the wrong area because the the websites, you know, the website's gotten better, but there there are, you know, different territories are not represented properly. And then um the way they're named, people don't know what they're copying and pasting. So they'll 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 use, you know, the Hakamelan word our land as a name for the nation rather than Stalo or, you know, like it's uh, see it all the time. <laughs> yeah, um, I listen. My personal perspective. I'm pretty against land acknowledgements as they're uh, commonly done. Yeah. And I've gotten to listen to uh, Dan George's podcast, The Reconciliation mm -hmm. Road, and he interviewed Bruce McIver, and they also indict the oh, idea yeah. of um, recon like reconciliation through yeah. just giving land acknowledgements because yeah. often it's done with like a like the University of the Fraser Valley requires everybody to have a land acknowledgement at the beginning of their course. Well, for so many people, they're not going to know what they're saying. Yeah. And so that goes, that's more lip service. And I think if you look at certain government decisions, you can say that we've had enough lips, lip service. We've had enough yeah. people not knowing. And so I'd like the people who are interested to come to the table and let's, let's work towards reconciliation. Let's yeah. try and educate ourselves. But for the people who aren't going to participate or who are going to copy and paste, don't 
bother. Don't waste your time trying to yeah. attempt to fake something because that's not going to help us. That does nobody any good. Yeah. Um, and it's a disservice to yourself because you're being a little bit dishonest if you're putting something in that you don't understand. Yeah. And, uh, I've given my fair share of land acknowledgements and yeah, I, I never quite figure out how to be totally comfortable with them. But yeah, you see so many that are just copied and pasted with no idea. And the other thing, you see so many that are like, it's so easy to be offensive in the way people state them. Um, there's so many that are just offensive. So yeah, it's often counterproductive. Yeah, the way I used to describe it is like, if you're like an institution and you're saying, I acknowledge that I'm on the stolen, unseated territory yeah. of Axe, well, you're basically saying, I have like I have your candy bar and yeah. it's over here and you don't have it. And so I just like to acknowledge that I took it. And it's like, well, that's not very productive yeah. in terms of like, are you going to give it back? Is this yeah. the plan? Are you going to donate the land back? What's, the, yeah. what's your reason for saying that? And yeah. I think that the Carrie Lynn Victor, who's a muralist, um, what we talked about was she tried to do um, a land acknowledgement with a school and oh, yeah. they chose to make uh, recognize the land and the animals and the life around it rather than focusing on which nation it's about like oh. understanding the streams the rivers the mountains the yeah. the life the ecosystems that exist around you because if you again if you un understand that you're more likely to protect it and take care of it and i think that for everyday people, that's probably the best route is go learn about the stream, go learn about the river down the road from you, go learn about the mountains and how, what trees exist around there. That's yeah. a more, a better way to acknowledge the land than to just copy and paste. I'm on this territory from this area. Cause then you don't really understand what that means. You're not going to go meet that, the governance system there. So yeah. go inform yourself about the ecosystems that exist around you and appreciate them. If there's an application to build a giant building, maybe put in your two cents and say, Hey, I really like this natural area and I'd like to preserve that. That would be more valuable for the everyday person yeah. than just putting in something into their email signature that they don't understand what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we have a landing knowledge in my email signature at work too. Yeah. <laughs> It's, um, it's a tough balance because yeah. I know some people like yourself, I'm sure you understand what you're saying and you know what the words you're using, but for so many, they don't. And then it's not like indigenous people care so deeply about the land and the environment that I think the best thing that we can export to uh, everyday Canadians is take that same passion, take that same mm. interest and and have a deeper relationship with the community around you. You don't have to learn about what's going on all across all of BC, but if you have a park down the road from you yeah. that's full of beautiful trees, we'll try and preserve that. And if there's an application to tear all that down for a house, maybe say, how about yeah. no? How about yeah. let's try and protect that? Because you think of the work you've done living in Burnaby and how far you have to travel to experience these areas. I'm sure it gets a little bit farther and it's a little bit more challenging yeah. and the roads get a little more paved and the trail gets a little more used. And then it's like, well, maybe I won't do this trail this time because it's so busy and I want to go out into the the wilderness and yeah. that distance that you have to travel. It might be expanding. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it definitely like... I definitely like I cover quite a wide area in the books because of that for my own interest like it's it covers a wider region than the under the hikes book does and I also purposely include some of the stuff in the states because right. I feel like that you know the border is just a border it's not you know it's that that stuff is closer than Whistler a lot of it um so it yeah just trying to get kind of looking at it bioregionally a bit I guess and then um but yeah, just uh, yeah, I can see going further afield and and uh, 
yeah, I, I always look into new areas. That's so interesting. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast, talking about like a hike and and your thoughts or what you learned from doing a particular experience? Like I think of you did like a really long hike and you met people who like live at the top of this mountain in the middle of nowhere. Um, can you tell us more about like those Which are like <laughs> those were uh, they had like a house and you had posted like they had this little place and you got to meet them and I thought that that was a, a kind of a wild experience I don't know if they live there or it's a cabin that you're able to rent out or something like that yeah, I can't remember that one but I have what's been really neat is I've been on hikes where uh, I've gotten to gotten to cabins and um, been able to meet like uh, like the people who are responsible for like protecting an area. Like once I was in uh, Sunshine Coast and I went to a, a hike to a, a park, um, provincial park hut and, and met like an environmentalist, uh, George Smith, who was actually one of the key leaders of the fight to like protect that park like decades ago. Um, and just to hear those stories straight from the, the, the person who was, who, who actually like literally they built that hut too I was in. Um, it's amazing like yeah the these uh experiences like being able to to meet people like that by accident uh out there has been really something yeah that's fantastic i am so grateful that we were able to sit down today and hear about the work that you've done the books that you've written and your journey because i think that there's so much to learn about the environment about the fungi about fauna about the ecosystems the stars i think that you are like a, a doorway for so many people to get interested in these things and to kind of get away from their laptops get away from their cell phones and start to reconnect with nature and your commitment to that i think it motivates other people it can it kind of starts as a catalyst and people pick up your book and then they start going well why can't i do a hike a week why can't i get out there why can't i start going for walks more why can't i get away from my tv and start focusing on the things that matter and hopefully that has a cascading effect because it sounds like that really long hike had it gave you a chance to kind of soul search and figure out yeah. what you wanted to do and i think yeah. that we need more of that we need more people being mindful reflecting and figuring out where they want to take their life and are they happy in their life are they treating their loved ones well and when you're out in nature it's an opportunity to re-establish your relationship with the environment and with the world and, and where you want to be in your life and i think that your passion for this i think it's uh like it, it's contagious it makes other people interested it makes my other people go like well like this person's doing these many hikes. Why can't I do one a year? Why aren't, why aren't I out there? Why aren't I learning about these things? And the amount that you can learn and grow from interacting with these things, I think it's it's insurmountable. Like it's incomprehensible what you can gain from going out there. And I think you've shown that because it sounds like you're learning more and more all the time. And each book, you're learning something new and, and experiencing different hikes. So it's not like you're like, I've done all the hikes and now I know and I know everything. It's like, even when you go during a different season, you learn different things about that environment and you have a different relationship with it that time than you did the time before that. Yeah. And I think that that's hopefully the life people can start living is just being more curious, being more open-minded um, and humble. And I think that when you're out in nature, you have more humility. You see the stars and you go, I am super small yeah, in this. Yeah. And you look at the bear and you go, holy, like this thing, it would take no effort for me just yeah. not to be alive anymore if this bear yeah. wanted to make it so. Yeah. And so I think that nature is a good way for us to humble ourselves because I do think that social media can be a place where we can start to get really egotistical and what are my likes at and what are my comments yeah. at and, and what are people responding with and is it important to people and, and how do I make the next one blow up and yeah, we get lost 
lost in that. And then you start to forget about what really matters, which is family, the environment, connecting, um, and living that more wholesome life. And I think that that's the path that you're setting for people. And all they have to do is pick up the book to learn more. Well, th thanks a lot, Aaron. And I, I love what you're doing with this podcast. I've got a whole bunch of episodes bookmarked on Spotify uh, that I want to listen to the whole thing of. So uh, thanks for having me on. It's been a wonderful conversation. Absolutely. Can you please tell people how to find you on social media, where they can grab your book and yeah. all of that information? Yeah. As much as I hate social media, I'm on all of them. Um, so I'm on, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, all the other ones. And uh, you can find all that and info with the books at 105hikes.com. Awesome. I am grateful, honored that you were able to take the time. I knew it was a long trek out. And so it meant a lot to me that you were able to do this today. I really, really hope listeners go out, buy your book, pre-order your upcoming book. Can you just uh, name all of your books? And Yeah. And so there's 105 Hikes, Destination Hikes, and the new book is Best Hikes in Nature Walks with Kids in and around Southwestern British Columbia. And that's coming out on May 17th, 2022. That's this year. And uh, you can find that at 105hikes.com and it'll be in all the local bookstores. And awesome. Go support it. He is doing so much amazing work and I am so grateful to have had you on. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you.